This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Ashley Clements, one of our backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. And this show is 100% fan and listener supported. And if you want to support the show and get access to several hundred hours of audio, you can head over to our Patreon page that is patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where we review monthly AEW and WWE pay-per-views. We also have revisited episodes where we look back at old episodes of How To and how the story has changed. And our banner series, Pay-Per-View. View Classic, with their most recent offering being TNA Unbreakable 2005. Look, I know that this episode is going to be a tough one, and it is absolutely, by all means, a tough episode. We are talking today not about a typical wrestler, this is not a typical episode as a result. We're talking about Chris Benoit, a man who murdered his wife, child, and committed suicide in a moment that has lived on in infamy in wrestling. And all we want to do today with this episode is talk about the impact that that has had on wrestling as a whole, on Joe's journey as a fan, and also reconciling and coming to terms with the different opinions of our listeners and the people who've been affected by this around the world. I do want to let it be known that there is absolutely plans to do an episode about Nancy Benoit. We'll get into our rationale and reasoning on when we're going to do that in the episode itself and all i can say is thanks very much for the support over the years that's led us to this moment we are nine years in as a podcast on this journey together me and joe about learning about the world of wrestling and we've discovered you know a few times along the way that obviously the world of wrestling can be a dark and hurtful place and this is probably going to be a very tough episode to listen because it was certainly a very tough episode to record so if you want to give this one a miss or you want to put it off indefinitely you'll get nothing but understanding from our end because it was uh it was it was a hard one but we're both really proud of the work that we put into it and we're really proud of the episode itself and we're hoping that you the listener will get something from hearing this discussion And that's kind of what this is. It's a discussion. It's not a definitive documentary. It's not a true crime podcast. And it's certainly not a celebration in any respect of his life or career as a wrestler. It is about the lasting impact and the now legacy of Chris Benoit. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. And when we catch you in the new year, we'll be back to regular programming with episodes that are probably a little bit lighter and easier to handle. That's all I wanted to say, and I hope that this episode is of some value to those of you who are listening. Welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and, well, it's not a typical episode this time around, as you can imagine, and I probably should say from the outset, if this is the first time you've ever listened to this podcast, I would suggest going listening to any other number of episodes other than this one, because this is an episode that was put off for a long time, and with good reason. Hello once again, it's me, your old pal Kevin Mann, joined as I am always by my wife, my co-host, and someone who's been on a journey of watching wrestling for some nine years now. 
it's Joe Graham. Hey, Joe. Hello. Uh, not a typical episode by any stretch of the imagination today. Nope, thank God for that. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think that from the offset we should maybe make some things clear because I think a lot of people see that we've done this episode and, you know, I think understandably jump to conclusions because this is the type of a topic that people even hearing the topic makes their minds jump to conclusions and assumptions etc i don't blame people at all because in the research we've done for this episode dear god the amount of shite we've had to watch and listen to there is so much bad faith reporting on this yeah i'm not sure if it's something that other people have noticed i'm sure it has because you know i've seen a few folks chat about it but I feel like we've reached critical mass with regards to true crime. Mm. And this is, you know, a couple of things about this. Number one, it is one of the most eye-catching, headline-grabbing, unfortunately, most historically significant moments in wrestling history, which has brought in lots of eyes from folks outside the world of wrestling to look at it. Some just out of pure curiosity, but I think a lot of true crime podcasting and reporting, the kind of morbidity of it kind of gets lost in the wash of trying to make a show or trying to make something entertaining. You know, um, people I think are somewhat, not necessarily in an echo chamber, but as someone who doesn't listen to a lot of true crime, mm. as the, the bits that we've done for this episode and research just to see what else is out there, I am, um, I mean, you can probably tell from my voice, I'm a little bit shook by the, the, the sheer joy and laughter and detachments that a lot of people have from this, yeah, I guess. Lot, a lot of people having a lot of fun looking into a very upsetting grizzly murder i mean but that you know i mean i, I remember reading a thing a while ago where someone's like yeah i was looking at the t-shirt i bought from my favorite true crime thing and it was like what the fuck am i doing you know and yeah. hey if that's your thing that's your thing but you know we're not a true crime podcast i think yeah. we should say if you're looking for the 100 percent true story every single fact granular detail of what happened that fateful final weekend of chris benoit nancy and daniel benoit's life you're probably not going to get it here. And I think there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast regularly who are probably thinking, all right, cool, match list here. We're going to get into some you know, career highlights and stuff like that. It's not really going to be that either. It no. is, you know, this episode's not a normal episode for many, many reasons. And I think to approach Chris Benoit as we have other wrestlers would be doing a disservice to both our greater goals as a wrestling kind of analysis deep dive podcast and also, I think, to the to the victims and the people who are affected by it to this day, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think it's been it's been shocking to see the kind of the reaction, I guess, to just us announcing that we're doing an episode. Because, you know, I think as you alluded to there, we trended. We got a lot of people who found out about us doing this podcast and kind of assumed the worst. Which is understandable. And that's it. Like, I kind of, I mean, it is something that is to this day you know it's very it's it's still shocking it's still alarming i have spent 10 years podcasting professionally and nine of those i have been you know reviewing in one way shape or form matches with chris benoit i remember when i first came across him on the attitude podcast i was like oh how are we going to handle this and we kind of spoke about how it was in the context of a show and we were looking at the shows and their completion and you know, we addressed what had happened. We kind of just moved on from there, been able to compartmentalize it. I think that's a word you'll probably hear a fair bit mm. throughout this episode. I wasn't prepared for the toll this would take on me. Mm. I had assumed that I was quite hardened to this because I have seen him on my screen. I've talked about him. I have watched documentaries and read books about him over the years. 
I've been in tears quite a lot this week. Mm. And that is because of the inescapable sadness of the whole thing. And I think, you know, at this point, the one thing I'd want to ask you, Joe, is when did you first hear about Chris Benoit? I don't really remember the very first time I heard about him. I suppose I must have heard about him at the time of the murders. So you heard about pre-wrestling fandom? I, I don't remember having heard of him at that point. Mm. But I suppose I must have done. Because it did make you know, news all around the world. And yeah, whatnot, so I would have been about yeah. 17, I think, when it happened. And yeah, as you say, it was in the news a lot. I don't remember that, though. But then I wasn't watching wrestling. I didn't care about that. And it was at a time where there was a lot of stuff coming out about, like, you know, NFL players mm. and committing heinous crimes. The first time I kind of really remember him being someone I kind of actually knew the name was when I very, very, very first started watching wrestling as a fan and started talking about being a new fan. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where as soon as you mention you're a new fan, maybe, I think it happens less now because we've kind of moved on a bit as a society. We've moved away from that edgelord thing. Oh! Well, I hope. Maybe it's just my corner. I don't know. I read all the tweets. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but at the time when we first started this podcast, there were quite a few messages from people kind of being like, Boo, Chris Benoit. Yeah. Boo, have you heard about Chris Benoit? Yeah, there was a lot of people who were just genuinely like, I remember being messaged by folks being like, hey, this is all well and good, but what happens when you get to Chris Benoit? I think there's people who've been under the impression, and I think that's the thing, when people hear about this podcast and they get the tagline, and they've heard the tagline from like eight years ago, and think that like I put my hands over your eyes, like don't watch this, don't watch... Obviously there are topics that we've avoided going into, but like she's a human being with a great deal of agency and the majority of the episodes in the last several years have been put forward by your research because we've been dealing with a lot of topics that I'm, you know, I don't have much of a background in. So the idea that you were like completely like shielded until like this week, I was like, Joe, you need to find out about this guy that you've never heard about. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of people who thought that it was going to be like an intent of like a, like a jump scare or something like that, that I'd reveal this to you. I mean, wait a second, this guy who was a wrestler, we committed a murder. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. you were well I, aware. The first thing I actually knew about him. I knew about that before I saw his face. knew about that before I ever saw a match. I have a very early memory of when I started this podcast and I was invited onto a radio show where I was kind of interviewed as a new fan and it was like supposed to be like this fun silly segment and they were like nope they were like do you know all these stuff these, these funny bits about wrestling like oh you'll never believe what happened and it was like you know stuff like yeah, have you heard of Katie Vick have you heard about Mae Young's hand so, so basically they wanted to take the pot of stew that I've been yeah. simmering for nine years boil it down into a tar yeah. and mainline it but among silly things like the Katie Vick and the Mae Young hand segment was thrown in the Chris Benoit double murder suicide. Ah. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, I mean... That's the kind of the frivolousness of the way some fans, I think, treat this, though. I think a lot of times in the... and You know, not to conflate them as like equivalent things, but just in the way that the mind works or whatnot. So many times in this podcast, I mean, I think the Vince McMahon episode has been a very good one, but it's like stuff you hear or formative things that happen when you're a certain age, you can grow up and... If you're like a wrestling fan like me, who only had like a handful of people who also watched wrestling with, you can find yourself in your 30s and then still be holding on to things that you know in your heart to be true when you were like, I don't know, 16, 17 or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm shocked always by the folks who are in like well into adulthood who kind of almost regress a little bit when it comes to talking about Chris Benoit, either if it's because 
they want to make it into kind of like a, a dirty joke, kind of like kind of like how people were talking, like, hey, Osama bin Laden, he he, Saddam Hussein, he he, Chris Benoit, that kind of like edge lord forum fucking poster mentality or whatever it is. And I think as someone who thought he was quite hardened to this myself, I think you'd be shocked if you actually take the moment to put down the kind of all right, let's not think about his matches and think about the awesome feeling you had in 2004 when you thought your two favourite wrestlers were getting the world title and think how ultimately irrelevant that is when you just kind of focus on the bigger picture of what happened. What happened to that family? What happened to that man? What happened to the wrestling business? What happened to sports? And the way we talk about these issues. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more to unpack there. I don't want to say it's a defence mechanism, but I would say, I, again, I understand why people are set in their ways mm. a little bit because I think there's people who heard like a whiff of a conspiracy theory when they were 20 and they're yeah. like now I'm 41 I'm like yeah I still believe That's that it. it's an inside job like or whatever and I feel because of what happened like so many of our fans have tweeted in to say I stopped watching wrestling yeah. after it. It ruined it for me. And I think a lot of people maybe got their news from internet forums, stopped watching wrestling, understandably, and then never bothered to update their research. So they're kind of working with dubious sources. And it just kind of feel, you know, and I, I'm not I'm not trying to say, like, I'll cite your opinions and stuff like that. It's just that you can't help that. I mean, it's happened yeah. to me over and over again. Like, you know, I've, you know, don't talk about like, you know, citing your source and all that. Like, I'm a published author in scientific research i've got a master's i know all about that and yet you know how many times in this podcast we're like but i thought it was true when i was 16 i'm like yeah. well now actually do you want to look at the the facts of the the matter here yeah i mean it's a difficult place to pick where to start there's a lot of great resources out there in terms of you know there's there's a the dark side of the ring you know two parts of that which i think that Really a jumping off point for a lot of folks here. If you don't know anything about this, I'd say check out the, the, the Eddie Guerrero episode that we did because mm. I feel like a lot of what we're going to talk about here almost kind of continues on yeah. from that episode in many ways. And, you know, in many ways their their legacies are forever linked, you know, uh, both for, for negative and positive reasons, I guess. And I think it's probably good at this point as well to address, you know, something that's obviously at the forefront of our, our mind, which is... Why Chris Benoit episode? Why not, you know, hey, where's an episode about woman? Nancy Benoit, you know, who was uh, a trailblazer in her own right. Mm. And, you know, I think we've taken a lot of great joy and pleasure in previous episodes at looking at, you know, women who haven't gotten a chance maybe to have their full story told or whatnot. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that a, a Nancy episode mm -hmm. would be high on our list of priorities going forward. Yes, yeah, we didn't want to do a woman episode first. Because we felt if we did it before a Chris Benoit episode, we have to end the episode in like the worst way and kind of end mm. her episode about him. Yeah, and I kind of feel, I know it's it sucks that this is coming first, yeah. but it's definitely in my mind the lesser of two evils to have to preempt her episode with this as opposed to making her episode about, about this. Because yeah. I'm really excited to delve into Florida wrestling and her time in ECW. And we saw her in our Salmon episode as woman, the manager, mm -hmm. and like she's a captivating figure, yeah. and she will get her own episode, and it won't be about Chris Benoit because no. doesn't need to be doesn't need to be. But I, a cotton in good faith, do that beforehand. That would be performative yeah. in my mind, yeah, making you feel good looking at a tweet as opposed to hey, you're gonna have to listen to a big ass podcast about it. Yeah, them's the breaks. That's the reality of the situation, and it's one of the things that sucks about yeah. about the whole situation. And it should hopefully mean when we come to do the Nancy Benoit episode that people who would love to learn more about her career but have absolutely no interest in what happened 
to her in her death yeah. don't have to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. Nice separation, uh, clean break. Yeah, I think that's that's I think it's worth saying from the outset, you mm-hmm. know, as, as we're kind of getting into it here now. I feel it's different for me as a as a newer fan talking about Chris Benoit because as I say, the first thing I ever learned about him was that he was a murderer and he murdered his family. That's all you've ever known him as. Yeah, so when yeah. I saw his face for the first time, I was like that's that murderer. Yeah. I imagine it's very 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 different if you knew of him as a wrestler first, mm. especially if you were young at the time. Yeah. I mean, what was it like for you, like, as a fan? What, knowing him as a wrestler in the in the first instance? To kind of have to... I've never ha- experienced something where someone who I have respected as a professional mm. has then done something so unforgivably heinous that I have to kind of disconnect myself from them. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that kind of in reverse as a wrestling fan because there's lots of pieces of shit in the business. Yeah, and we're, I think we're a lot more aware of it now yeah. than maybe when, you know, in, in the mid-2000s or whenever it was. But I think because of this podcast, I learned very early on how to kind of segregate my mind in terms of, you know, enjoying someone's work and thinking about them as a human being. But I've learned from from just from the reaction to this episode, just, like, we didn't use the term, but the term separating art from the artist has become, like, a loaded, poisonous yeah. term for people. They I- hear that and they think, excuse... And they think it's bullshit. And yeah, I I totally get that. But I think for you, as we said earlier, compartmentalization. Mm. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I've kind of had to do it with a lot of wrestlers. Doink the Clown. I mean, look, there's, there's a... Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler. Yeah. This is, honestly, the list goes on and on and on. And, and again, okay, why I'd suggest listen to some other episodes yeah. of this podcast first, you know. Yeah. And okay, they weren't necessarily murderers. But I have still... It's a kind of a formative, foundational part of my fandom mm. as a wrestling fan is is kind of being able to do that. But I imagine that's much harder when you appreciate the wrestler first mm. and then have to come to terms with something like this. Yeah, I mean, you would have, in my instance, had seven years of watching him as a wrestler. Mm. Never being like, like, he's my guy. Like, that's my style of wrestling. That's, you know, if, you know, from people listening to this podcast, you know, I've got appreciation for lots of different types of wrestlers yeah when i was younger i probably skewed more towards the people who are about promos daredevilry hardcore stuff that tugs on your emotions you say that but for me i always think of that being as a slightly earlier fandom for you yeah but I, that's when i would have first come across chris benoit you see right you know so when i was a teen and i first saw chris benoit and that would have been when he debuted in the wwf in like 2000 or whenever it was so mm. i would have been like 12 years old mm. And he was brought in with, you know, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, like a lot of people who are considered to be like really good in-ring workers. And me and my brother, I'll be honest, our reaction was, ooh, that guy looks scary mm. because his neck reminded us of like Scott Steiner's arms. Like I remember mm. me and my brother like tuning into Nitro one night, flipping over and be like, ugh, look at the, ugh, the veins on Scott Steiner. And then like, seeing this Chris Benoit guy and just be like, oh, like we would joke about, he looks like he's on steroids. He looks mm. like he's about to fucking explode. He's, his neck which he'd fucking always be cracking and, you know, all intense and, you know, snapping his neck and cracking his knuckles. Mm. And his fucking, he was just looking like he was going to explode. He mm. was an intimidating figure. He did matches and a style of wrestling that made you want to, to, to be invested in ring, you know. And that was something that didn't happen very often because I grew up an era in wrestling where there was some great wrestling in ring. But compared to this day and age, it's like it was about characters and yeah. story you know, we weren't like, we didn't watch No Mercy 2000 because we thought there was going to be a great wrestling match. We all wanted to watch that to find out 
what Austin was going to do when Rikishi, who ran him over, came back. Yeah. So it was kind of like he was just almost an aside in many senses. Like, oh, here's this great thing. But, you know, now that I think about it, it would have been my first exposure to that type of wrestling. Because I, I didn't watch Brett growing up, for instance. Yeah. You know, I saw a little bit of Owen mm. right before he passed away. So he would have been my main bread and butter in terms of, here's an example of a style of wrestling that's considered renowned around the world. In Japan, in you know, Europe, and in America, what he's doing is considered to be, that's the good wrestling, you know? Which is interesting to me because, I mean... Our last episode was on Kenny Omega. And we yeah. talk a bit in that about how in the mid-2000s, there was a resurgence of an emphasis, especially in indie wrestling, of technical prowess. Mm -hmm. And Chris Benoit, undoubtedly, very technically gifted as a professional wrestler and yeah. athlete. Uh, yeah, definitely. But it's interesting that you say kind of he wasn't really one of your guys, because I know you are a fan of, especially at that time, you were a fan of that style. I know you like Brian Danielson and, and well, yeah, that's like the, that. The thing, like, because you get into maybe, you know, 2004 and the years go on and they... They told the story in 2001, but kind of again 2004. And this is what always got me as a wrestling fan. I think mm. it does with a lot of fans to this day. Where they really harped on like, this guy has traveled the world. Yeah. Passion is the word that they would use. Intensity. Singular focus. He cares about wrestling. He just wants to be the best at wrestling. And like him and Chris Jericho you know, were, were the people who were, they would put that label on. And see WWF being like, whoa, they're talking about these guys you know, wrestling in Japan and Mexico and, you know, owning their craft around the world. It felt like, are we allowed to talk about this even? Mm. And, you know, along that time in 2004, when, you know, Eddie Guerrero became a world champion, Chris Benoit became a world champion. And even though the wrestling business was probably in more of a, a valley than it was in a peak at that point, yeah. the people who were still watching were the hardcore fans, the people who were there because they loved wrestling and they thought this was, this was like proof positive. Of course. Yes. Now, you know, the, the, the long arc of, of, of time bends towards justice and mm. it's now these guys are getting their chance indie wrestling is is you know smaller guys people who made it outside of WWE but not because of their their size or their look because of their ability and their passion and all that so when, you know that, that that hooked me big time you know so when Chris Benoit would have been getting his championships and such mm. and a lot of people would have been big fans of his you say he still wasn't really your guy what kind yeah. of who, who were your favourite wrestlers at the time? What, 2004? I mean... Because you were still watching. I was, but 2004, like, that's the funny thing, you know, I mentioned you know, a great moment and all that, like, I, I do remember that being kind of the period of time where I was kind of a little bit exacerbated with wrestling. I mean, I love Shawn Michaels, yeah. you know, um, I liked Brock Lesnar, okay. you know, I liked Eddie Guerrero, I loved Kurt Angle, Why were Big you... Show, you know? Why were you exacerbated with wrestling at the time? Um, because like a lot of people were kind of falling out of love with it and it wasn't, you know, for lack of a better term, it wasn't as good as I remembered it. It mm. was like, it wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as explosive. You know, I was getting stuff that I did, you know, retrospect enjoy a lot. Like, you know, I love JBL's feud with, yeah. with Eddie Guerrero. I love Rey Mysterio. And, you know, there's a lot of you guys who I mentioned who I love, but in terms of a show, it wasn't like, but like, it's like saying, you know, when I was 15, watching the kiddie thing that I loved when I was nine wasn't as fun. Well, no fucking shit, like, you know? But it's just interesting that you say that because it almost seems like, a, I don't know, not an oxymoron, but like a contradiction because you say yourself that you you do have an appreciation for technical wrestling. Yeah. And you did in the mid-2000s for like Brian Danielson and Lance Storm and people like that. 
And yet it also seems like part of the reason you fell out of love with wrestling is because it seemed to focus more on technical wrestling and less mm. on the bombastic promos and storytelling. I know, but like the reality of it is, is that like that was the majority of that time. It's like Triple H was the guy who was on top and Randy Orton and Batista. <laughs> Triple H is to blame again. Well, these were people who I didn't like. I didn't care for the overall kind of direction? product and direction at the time, but I was still watching. Hey, I'm a wrestling fan admitting to not enjoying the overall product or direction, yet I was watching yeah. absolutely glued to it week on week. But that kind of, that was a kind of formative in a sense that you gain an appreciation for these guys. And I think, you know, I've gotten to see this with you over the years. People who we've saw in you know, little indie shows in Manchester, and then all of a sudden you see them in front of 60,000 people. It's, you know, Paul Heyman says on many documentaries, like watching your fucking kids grow up. Yeah. You feel this indescribable sense of pride when you see someone you feel you've been on their journey and like i wasn't on his journey mm. i was fed video packages and promos and good storytelling by wwf that made me feel like i went on his journey because i wasn't watching chris benoit in new japan i wasn't watching chris benoit stampede wrestling or ecw i saw some of that stuff on you know on dvd then in like 2005 mm. and 2006 and i think like when he died and he murdered his wife and child was mm. at a period of time where I was kind of spreading my wings a little bit in terms of trying to find out more about the world of wrestling. Yeah. Which kind of made it sting a little bit more than I wasn't just someone who's kind of like, eh, I'm just kind of watching a bit, whatever. You know, I had made a few friends in university who were like, you know, tape traders and were super into, you know, they'd watch fucking everything. What is a tape trader? As in someone who's like, back in the day before the internet would send off a, you know, a letter to someone on eBay or whatever it was and they get sent back a, you know, a, a compilation video of a bunch of matches they had and they would maybe you copy a few of your matches that you had and send it back to them. And that's how a lot of this stuff was spread. You I'm know? absolutely fascinated by that. Yeah. And I am not going to let myself get off topic of this subject because <laughs> I really want to ask more questions, but we'll have to talk about it in another episode. Yes. The first time I saw Jerry Lynn write die Carino and blood on his chest was on a warped VHS tape that had been traded for my friend from someone else on the other side of the world. Wow. But like, you know, it was just kind of, you know, I've talked about all the things like the wrestling channel and stuff like that. That was a really cool time for a lot of people as fans because there was uh, a growing appetite for the world beyond WWE. And you mm. kind of, you realize then that certain people like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho, like, hey, they're part of this kind of wider world of things like, you know, what was happening in Japan and Mexico. And, you know, we, we t saw what was happening in the mid 2000s with more technical wrestlers getting their day. But it's like, yeah, they were part of that in the mid 90s though, with like junior heavyweight divisions in Japan and, you know, raising the bar and, the stuff you see you think is great in WWE, but look at the thing that he was doing back here, you know, 10 years prior, it's even better, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. So it was literally, I think, coming towards the peak of that interest for me when, you know, he committed that unspeakable atrocity. And it was, um, it was weird, mm -hmm. obviously, as you can imagine, as a fan to experience that. I would have been 19 at the time. Do you remember where you were when you found out? I had just come back from a trip to New York City. Uh, oh. It's the only time I've been to New York. I got taken there with my parents. You know, as I think it was one of the last family kind of trips we all took together as one. And I remember the Vince McMahon storyline was going on about how he'd blown up in a limousine. And I remember me and my brother, like, you know, being in a hotel room, like, down the road from MSG, watching, like, oh, my God, Vince McMahon's blown up. Whoa, wrestling! This is the uh, infamous story which caused Donald Trump to call up the WWE and yeah. be like, is my friend okay? They tried to blow up Vince McMahon. I can't believe it. It's so sad. <laughs> my name of Donald Trump sounds like Triple H. I need to work on it. <laughs> so, you know, 
you want to talk about like a wrestling fucking fandom at its peak it was like the end of the time when like kind of me and my brother were still like you know watching a bit of wrestling together and all that we went on kind of a bit of a walking tour we found you know msg we found the hammerstein ballroom from all our favorite ecw shows did you, you know? get to see any wrestling while you were in new york no no but you know we we just you know i remember my distinct memory of that time was you know i'd gotten an ecw t-shirt this is after ECW had been bought by WWE. Yes, and was now on TV <laughs> as W. This is this is post Hasselmania. So this Joe. is sci-fi. Yeah, ECW, I'm walking okay. around with my ECW t-shirt around New York City, like, like Big Show. I'm a fucking wrestling fan, brother. And yeah, I've just been so excited about wrestling because it was like a it was a really stupid fucking storyline. You had this like moment where it's like you got this like ring full of suspects. It's like Mick Foley and Booker T and John Cena, and there's a guy from the FBI being like, "I'm gonna find out." Who murdered Vince McMahon? And you know, next week we're going to hear from Linda McMahon's lawyer. I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy! Of course, they completely over my head. Like, hey, by the way, wrestling fan who's looped up in his crazy fandom, you know, Sherry Martel died last week. Do you yeah. care about that? I'm like, ah, wrestling, yay! To be fair though, and we'll talk more about this in a bit, I'm sure. There were a lot of deaths at that time, and I feel it's, I was so numb to it. It would be too morbid to focus on every death. Yeah. As nice as it is in theory, I think it could be genuinely traumatising to a lot of people. I would literally log on to nodq.com from a period like 03 to 07. And I remember there'd be just that little kind of like, like you're about to get exam results. You know, the kind of you're about to click the page and go, because I'd be like, who's going to die this week? Yeah. And you might think that's me being flippant and trying to be... No, I believe you. Um... After Eddie died and we all moved on as wrestling fans so quickly, and I think maybe the fact that we were in a bit of a valley at that time, mm. that the wrestling fans who were still kind of knocking about there, um, we were like super dedicated to wrestling and all that. We didn't maybe take a moment to stop and go, what the fuck is actually going on here? You know, my, my brother would be like, hey, what's going on wrestling? Oh, Big Boss Man's dead. Oh. Yeah, and it's be like, yeah, my brother would be like, hey, what's oh, going sorry, on wrestling? Oh, sorry, it's in Ray Trailer, Big yeah. Boss Man, the actual man. It's like, just by the way, casually, I know you've not watched like for a year or so, but like right. your favourite wrestler when you're growing up, brother, yeah, he's, he's, he's dead now. Yeah. Or like my cousin would be like, hey, what's going on wrestling? Like, oh, yeah, Tess, you know, be, yeah, he's dead. You know, just every yeah. fucking, every fucking week. And like the only upside for me at that time as a fan in many respects with, with relation to those deaths is that I was still kind of insulated a lot that I didn't know a lot of the names well enough to actually care. You would have known some of them. Oh, would have definitely. Like, obviously, Test. But the fact that, like, man. me as somebody who had been watching for, like, seven or eight years at that point. Yeah. I was being affected. Like, if you were somebody who was, a, you know, an adult at that point, mm. the people who were dying from the 80s and, like, the, the early 90s and the 70s, like, fucking hell, it was nonstop. So I think... I think, like, I was just kind of looking back and feeling about it that, like, I think a lot of wrestling fans were kind of, like, not willingly being like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Just move on. It's just, shit, that's happened. Welcome to Monday Night Raw. Uh, Tuesday night, ECW. Friday, don't forget SmackDown. Sunday, we've got a pay-per-view coming up. And, like, you just, much like the wrestlers themselves, you're back on that loop. Mm -hmm. And if you're watching and you've been flooded with that and all of a sudden, like, you know, I don't say we all forgot about it, but, like, Within six months of Eddie Guerrero dying, all my friends who were wrestling fans wanted to talk about was how much they hated John Cena. Right. You know, within six months of Chris Benoit dying, all my wrestling friend fans wanted to talk about was how much they hated John Cena. Well, to be fair. But we were fucking kids. But like, like you also, know? <laughs> there's only so much you can really say about someone dying. Yeah. Or someone even murdering their family. Like, at I mean, some point yeah. you just, you do have to move on. Like I, I I remember distinctly the day of um, 
the pay-per-view, you know, before he killed his wife and child. Uh, I remember like, going down that day and being like, right, you know, just checking the website to see what the matches are. I was going over to my friend's house to, to watch the show. And then, like, seeing a thing going, like, oh, um, Chris Benoit is not going to be at the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, I remember, like, just thinking, that's weird. Because, like, this guy, ne- like, he broke his neck. I remember during, you know, 2001, he was gone for, like, a year thereabouts. And in 2006, he was gone for a couple of months as well, dealing with another injury. But this was, like, the this was one of those guys, like, Kurt Angle or, or Kane or whoever it was. It was like, this guy doesn't get injured. Like, they move him around from show to show. You know, he'd been moved from Raw to SmackDown. He's been put on ECW, and this is the start of his role in ECW because he was one of those guys where, like, he'll always be there. Mm. He'll never miss a day. He's re- reliable, is the, the word. Mm. So that was the extent of the weirdness of it. Like, I'm being my friend being like, what's going on? That is kind of weird, isn't it? Did you have any speculation on that? They said on the commentary, oh, there's personal reasons that Chris mm. Benoit's not here. And we checked some of the forums. Yeah. And we'd heard, like, oh... You know, that there was, uh, it was sick food poisoning, I think, was something that was knocked around. And it's weird, like, those forms are still there. I actually looked at one. Just oh, really? Because that's this is pre Twitter, pre social yeah, media. Very interesting you know? for me as someone who wasn't really on wrestling forums at that time. Seeing the news break slowly, because it was, it was slowly, it came yeah. out over the course of what, a week in total? The full <sighs> details? We knew by. 48 within 48 hours we knew right. the big picture and if you're WWE it was probably a little bit quicker than that because yeah it starts story. off like oh that's weird Chris Benoit isn't at the pay-per-view and then it's like oh that's weird Chris Benoit has died and then it's like oh actually the whole family have died and yeah there was you know there was speculation on the forums that I could see you know there were people who were saying oh it's a storyline again completely well, understandable given the thing with given what happens yeah, yeah. And then there were people who were like, oh, they all died. That must be that there was, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning or something. And they hopefully all died in their sleep. Mm. And then more details came out and it was revealed. No, actually, he murdered his family and then killed himself. Yeah. And I think the trickle of information between like, you know, fans and folks online, it was similar to the wrestlers. Like, I've looked at mm. a lot of kind of firsthand accounts from wrestlers who were there and basically kind of finding out on the fly, like a lot of them. A lot of them really wanted to kind of believe the more rational explanations in their mind where like, yeah, a, a home invasion or a carbon monoxide poisoning would make a lot more sense for people's minds. There were some people, I know like William Regal was an example of someone who lived in the same town as him who knew that Nancy and Chris had a lot of domestic problems. There were fights. Was he friends with Chris Benoit? I mean, in as much as anyone was friends with him at the time, he was in the same town. Uh, and I think that he knew, not to say that he had prior knowledge, but I think he knew enough to maybe not go with the assumption of it's definitely an accident and couldn't mm. possibly be anything else. So, yeah, I mean, the next morning after the show, and it was kind of like, you know, I was watching a wrestling show, like, uh, you know, it wasn't great, didn't particularly care about it. Oh, I, I hate this wrestler, I hate that wrestler. And then wake up the next morning and just like, everybody a whole body going cold mm. and just being like, shit. Like, I, th- I literally thought I hadn't woken up properly. So at that point, what had you known? Did you know he had died? I knew he was dead and that Daniel was dead. And that Nancy was and dead. And Nancy was dead. And like, for me, you know, I didn't, you know, my... The extent of my knowledge of Nancy at that point was, you know, I had the rise and fall of ECW DVD, so I'd seen her with Sandman, and I'd seen her on a few tapes, you know, from, from ECW back in the day. I think I'd seen her maybe a little bit from, like, the some Ric Flair matches that I'd seen from, like, kind of the, the late 80s in WCW. So I knew of her, I knew that she was in the business, I knew that she was a character. Like, Daniel Benoit, like, 
the only time I'd ever seen him was coming into the ring with Nancy and Chris at the end of WrestleMania 20. Mm. So like that, that for me was just like, you know, I'm, I have a very early memory when I was like 11 years old in my last year of primary school, one of my classmates committed suicide. Mm. Like at such a, such a, such a young age. Yeah. And I remember my parents like waking me up in the morning and telling me and just like feeling cold all over and just not, my body just being like, like not, can't take in that information yeah and like i remember at the time like i didn't shed a tear at the time i was just like shook yeah and then like three years later i was boom you know if you ever get depressed around like february i always think that's like in my mind part trigger, of it yeah. it's just like this kind of it's not like i'm like oh i don't like that i'm gonna squeeze it down to a bitter little ball and no. not think about it like people don't opt to not process or engage with something but i just remember being so completely floored by it and that was what the discovery of him having murdered his family or just, or just the, that they were all dead just that they're all dead and then within another 24 hours of that like with by the time that news was out there was stuff trickling out that did you have any suspicion that it was anything other than you know, i mean when i found out they were all dead i'm like it's definitely it's definitely a home invasion like you know crazed fan you know See, re- wrestling wrestlers have had their kids kidnapped in the past and stuff like that you that's know so hard for me to believe and i know hindsight is twenty twenty, but like looking at someone like chris benoit i refuse to believe that any home invader could possibly kill him i know but it's just but i know yeah that's it you don't know oh, oh, what, what did i know about chris benoit he was a character on a yeah, tv show it's true you know like all the stuff about like kind of we'll, we'll delve into about like kind of the trauma that he had suffered, you know, mentally from all of his friends dying. Like he got to be fine because you do have storyline with Chavo and Vicky on TV talking about Eddie Guerrero's yeah. estate and how he, he seems was. fine to me. Why he wouldn't do that unless he was all right? Yeah, you know, you don't. And like that's the thing. Like it, it was a business where, as fans, you kind of you glean from shoot interviews and books and what wrestlers tell you about what to respect. Mm. And he was one of the boys. Yeah. And he was a locker room leader, and no one gave more for this business than him. Ergo, you assume the best of him. Mm. But the reality is, is that all of those traits of him that were glorified by his fellow wrestlers, how intense he was, how he would oh never miss a workout, never miss a show, never. It's like these are all things that were in many ways symptoms of what was going on in his mind. Yeah. And if you've come to a podcast looking for the one simple explanation as to what happened and why, it ain't it. There is no simple explanation. It is a myriad of factors and you can argue which one played more of a role. But I think anyone denying any of the factors that are at play are probably doing themselves a disservice. That's it. And I feel if you go out and look for yourself, you will find many people, true crime podcasters or YouTubers. The Chris Benoit tragedy. I've heard that so many fucking mm. times. It, like, have you listened to anything? Like, like People who are giving you any one answer as to why this happened are trying to sell you something. Normally, literally trying to sell you something while they try and tell you, oh no, it was this one thing or this other thing. Well, like, you know, we're recording this in the aftermath of that H-Bomber Guy video about YouTube plagiarism that came out. And true to form, we watched a couple of very lazy YouTube video essays about this, where it's like, add, add, add. And mm-hmm. now we're back to it. Here's a sponsored slot within the actual video. Yeah. And the, the fucking screenshot of it says like, the Bible reveals the real killer. That one was quite funny because Fuck we watched Joe. it trying to find out some of the conspiracy theories. We want to find out what we don't want to spread them. But we want to know no, no, no. what is the stupid shit that people believe. Yeah, because I think it's important to at least know those. And we watched got like eight minutes of this video, skipping through all the ads. Benoit. 
waiting for the big twist where it's revealed who the true killer is. And the guy's like, and then the passage in the Bible had a note from the true killer. It was Crispinoish. Yeah, it was Crispinoish. Yep. Fuck me. Like. Great, great, great video there. I know. It's the, the sad thing is like, it's just, but it, for most true crime aficionados, it's just one of many grizzly. It's probably like, ah, it's only like my 27th favorite murder. You yeah. know, whatever it's just, it is. Like, it just gets distilled into like clickbait. Yeah. And it's and, so speculative. And I don't even mind necessarily people using this as clickbait because yeah, it's going to fucking happen. But at least do your research. At yeah. least like learn how to pronounce the man's name. I know, right? Look, we're going to just talk now before we get into background and about him and all that. We're just going to, you know, I don't want this to be like a build up or anything like that. Let's just say what happened, what he did. And then from there, we can talk about the lead up to that the fallout, the repercussions. These are the types of things that I think that we want to uh, to kind of address on this. Because it is regrettable, but it is a undeniably important part of wrestling history. Yeah, so. I think everyone who has clicked on this episode has kind of known what to expect. We can't talk about this without talking about the murder. Yeah. Unfortunately, so. and we're not going to do this from a true crime, grisly details. We're not going to, you know, I'll say from the offset, I've read the autopsies, so I I know the grisly details, but I'm not going to talk about them here because we don't need to. If you want to hear them for yourself, you can go and find it's, them. It's it's all out in the public, all available to find out, and there will of course on the website be, you know, in lieu of match recommendations, there'll be a lot of recommended reading, yeah. you know, links to 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 documentaries, interviews, etc. Not saying anything, one thing is an authority. But I think there's a lot of good resources which we've drawn upon that I think is only fair to share with you guys and that'll be on the website as well. Yeah. So on the whole, we're going to try and stick to just the facts. Okay. And later on, we'll talk maybe about some theories as to why it happened. And Mitigating that, factors, yeah. etc. whatever. But yeah. it's worth bearing in mind that, of course, that is speculation mm -hmm. and the why will never really be known. Yes. It's, it's up to you to listen to what's happened and to the, those factors that we will talk about and it's up to you what level of importance you want to put on them yeah you know uh, i and i'll say when we're saying our opinion on what we think is maybe most important i don't necessarily anticipating agreeing with you on everything either no. um it is in that case just our opinion this is this is this is simply that we're having a discussion about it and how we how we feel about it. yeah so the events um well this is hard to talk about so, on the Friday of the weekend in question, the Benoits were having a barbecue yeah. in their backyard. And it was believed that there was an altercation between Chris Benoit and his wife, Nancy Benoit. And that was on the Friday. That was on the Friday right, yeah. in the evening. Okay. Believed to happen after the barbecue. There was some kind of struggle. It's believed that at this time that Nancy was killed... Uh, it was believed that she was strangled. When they found her body, they found that she had been tied up. She had two ligatures around her neck. And ligatures are basically a kind of like a rope or equivalent, something yeah. that you can use to tie something up with. So she had two ligatures around her neck. One was a rope and the other was a TV cable. Her wrists were bound with an S cable, which is a different type of TV cable, and then knotted on one wrist. And her ankles were bound with duct tape and with an electrical charger. And I'm sorry, that's about as grisly as I'm going to get in this episode. But I do want to mention it because, again, there are arguments from people, especially online, that this was a spur of the moment. Mm. Oh, it just happened and he couldn't control himself. Yeah, no, this is this is definitely, not to say planned, but it this happened over a length of period of time 
that you cannot argue that it was a blackout moment. No. And the fact that he This used... was not a moment, this was a long series of events. Yeah. And look, the fact that he used multiple different cables and ropes to tie up his wife shows that this was not a spur of the moment, like, you know, ah, I shot her in the head because I was so angry. You know, it's it would have taken a lot of effort and probably walking, making many trips to and from the house to grab things. And yeah. And it's also believed there was evidence found at the crime scene that she was gagged before Mm. her death. It's believed that that evening, he sent Chavo Guerrero some texts that were very worrying. So again, he was in contact with other people. Yeah. You know, showed that he was in clear mind. It was kind of like tying loose ends together in terms of like making sure the house was in order. The next morning, it is believed that he gave his seven-year-old son Daniel a Xanax and suffocated him. After that, he then went online and he started googling some things, namely how to break your own neck painlessly. Some details which I have to mention, because people always talk about them, is there were beer cans and wine bottles found, Mm. and it's believed that... They were both medicating with alcohol and painkillers... Xanax, etc. Yeah, th- therapeutic levels yeah, is yeah. what it's referred to as, so um, non non toxic. But there's no evidence in Chris Benoit's autopsy to show that he was actually had been drinking in the run up, right? Because I know that is a big speculative thing that people have proposed. Yeah. Throughout the weekend, he was in talks with people like Chavo Guerrero, basically saying, "Oh, I can't come to the show because Nancy is really sick. She's vomiting blood. Her and Daniel have a stomach virus or food poisoning or something, so I won't be able to come." Mm. And talent relations, I believe it were, spoke to him and said, "Look, don't worry. Just try and look after yourself and and come in for the pay per view, yeah. whatever." Um, and then he he didn't. Now. It seems that he was trying to make it to that pay-per-view even after he had murdered his family, which really? is pretty chilling. Yeah. What is, is what's what in what respect? Like he had said to Chavo that he was trying to rearrange his flight with Delta, right. and there was a bit of evidence, if I remember correctly, on his computer that he had been trying to book plane tickets. Sweet Jesus! So yeah, there was a chance he was going to show up at a wrestling show after having done, you know, that, which is terrifying. Some other details, I guess, which I have to mention. He'd placed Bibles next to Nancy and Daniel's bodies. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who are kind of like, use that as like, ah, he lost his mind. He became a kind of a religious zealot or whatever it was. But I think with regards to the spirituality and stuff like that, it seemed to be almost an extension of his relationship with Eddie Guerrero, who was, I think as we mentioned that episode, in his later years got quite kind of um, born again, I guess, in a sense, kind of revivalist type of mentality, you know, using the Bible as a source of kind of, you know, power and encouragement and leading kind of prayer groups and all that. So I think that was necessary to say. I think a lot of people grabbed onto that as being like, oh, Chris Benoit became like kind of a religious nut in the end. But I think that was in that moment of desperation towards the end the bibles came into it i think that's backed up i guess by what he was searching on the on the the internet i feel i know the bibles were found but i feel you almost have to separate that from what happened because it's just a disturbing detail isn't it you know you're you're drawn to because it's the fucking bible like anything placed by the bodies of a man's murdered family would be a gory detail there was a knife there as well and that's a whole thing for people and yeah but for me, I think the interest in Christianity makes perfect sense. My granny was not religious at all, right? Mm. Until about 10 years before she died. All her friends started dying of old age. Yeah. And she suddenly found a lot of comfort in the idea of the afterlife. Yeah. Very common. And I believe that's what happened to Chris mm. Benoit. A lot of his friends started dying. And it is 
easier to cope if you believe that you will see them again someday. Yeah, I think that's that's a. Uh, I mean, I can see why you, why you think you know why you think that with that with with that evidence or whatever. Yeah, and then he went down to his gym and he set up his lap machine. I think it was. It's a it's a weightlifting type machine, and he wrapped one of the cords around his neck. And he set the weight to the highest setting and then he released it, which would have taken quite a lot of strength. But this is Chris Benoit, who's mm. a very strong man. And he broke his neck. So that is death by hanging. Death by hanging is normally you break your neck. I just wanted to mention that because there is some confusion out there. I think mm. people hear death by hanging. They expect to see someone yeah. in a stereotypical hanging, you know. Yeah, and he what, wasn't. Then, yeah. He was slumped on the floor, but he did die by hanging. I just, yeah, and I don't, I didn't want to be too big into to details and stuff like that, but I just think. When you're talking about why people perceive this or took this in different directions, I think I was comparing it to you earlier, like people with a haunted house. Hmm. You know, you go in with a group of people and they're your night vision camera, and you're like, "It's a haunted house," and your kind of mind is set up to take on board stuff and find meaning there with it. This is a house that was full of lots of incidental bits and bobs. Let's just say. There's lots of purposeful confusion of language was being used by WWE with yeah. regards to the steroids issue. Mm. And, oh, actually, no, we're not talking about anabolic steroids. We're talking about testosterone that he was replacing in his body because he was on a testosterone replacement course of therapy. And that's fine. I've got a lot to say about that. But I just kind of feel like it's worth pointing out there. That there's a lot of people who are like, you know, who are, I guess, swept up in the minutiae of it feeling that that is going to cause a more realistic explanation. Mm. I was quite shocked when I found, you know, quite a few, there's you know, a few, few wrestlers, I'm not going to name them, but like, I was just thought with the Montreal Screwjob wrestlers, they're like, oh yeah, I believe in the, here's the real thing that happened. I'm like, yeah. you're just trying to get a payday. Mm. But there are a lot of wrestlers who aren't getting paydays because no one wants to talk about it, who are like, oh yeah, I believe that Chris Benoit was murdered or, you know, it's a, it's an inside job or whatever it was, you know. I've, I looked into that and I don't really understand how anyone can draw remotely that conclusion. But like, I remember you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about you know, my initial kind of reactions and what people were talking about. People straight away were talking about you know Kevin Sullivan, the, the wrestler who Nancy Benoit used to be married to. Yeah. And saying, like, oh my God, this guy's into all dodgy stuff. I'm like, you've shown me screenshots of him in Florida doing a Satanism gimmick. Yeah. And you're telling me now... There's people, and like I know people, oh, people are just joke and stuff like that. But the thing is, is, when people like I get to a level of fucking irony, where like people are actually buying it and then taking that as evidence and sharing mm. it elsewhere, there are genuinely people who think that you know Kevin Sullivan did it, and he's a piece of shit for his own reasons. But I don't think he crossed state lines and and it's concocted a fucking elaborate setup like this. This isn't the first time on this podcast where a wrestler or someone who is in the wrestling business has been accused of a very real crime because of the character they portrayed as yeah. a heel. Yeah. Because it happened in the Doink the Clown episode with his girlfriend, who he was with at the time of his death. She played an evil nurse, Nurse Cratchit. And there is a big conspiracy out there, if you watch The Dark Side of the Ring, that she poisoned him. Yes. The and evil nurse did the evil, evil nurse, nurse thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing happened with Kevin Sullivan. Like... I will say off the bat, like Kevin Sullivan abused Nancy. That, yeah. that is on record. There were allegations mm. there and she was found having two black eyes at one point and her, her sister has basically testified to that fact. And yeah, that's the thing that fucking irks me so much as well, like where people like to you know bring up about, you know, in, in the past in WCW, Kevin Sullivan was the booker. He was managed by Nancy, who they were in a relationship together 
And then Chris Benoit was booked into a feud with Kevin Sullivan where he kind of like, you know, wooed Nancy and took her away from him. Mm. And people were like, huh, brother, he booked his own divorce. Like, no, he beat his wife. I mean, that's, like, you know, uh, being your wife is a surefire way to book your divorce, I guess. Yeah, or maybe it's nothing to do with like booking and wrestling mm. and all that. And it's just the reality of the situation where it's not like the slippery slope of wrestling storylines is like the guy was a fucking abuser and you know that's you know he denies all wrongdoing and denies ever doing it or whatever it is but like chris benoit as well himself you know nancy filed a restraining order against him at one point she filed for divorce at one point she alleged abuse there was lots of talk of ongoing arguments that they would have and Her fights and chris you mean yeah yeah so you know that's i think that's Another element of it, I guess, that people can kind of see all the kind of different directions and angles of it. And then you can kind of just walk over there and just get, you know, you can spend three hours talking about that element of it alone, Mm. you know. But I think the reality of it is, is that you're going to see along the way lots of moments where you can kind of go, ah, this is the kind of, this is the exit on the freeway where people are going to get off and be like, this is the thing that I want to lay it all at the feet of. Yeah. I think on that note, what we'll do now is we're going to go through some of the different elements of the kind of the main headline parts of what people kind of would say is an explanation or part of the suite of explanations that yeah, you know the why the why why to try and make it make sense the man's a monster it committed an unspeakable act that like i can't even really begin to say without feeling fucked up in the head mm. you know so i having a background in science I understand the human need to find a simple explanation. Yeah. Because the old adage of the simplest explanation is probably the best one doesn't really apply in Mm. this case because it is so fucking complex. There are so many factors and I do believe they all play a role in one way, shape or form. And I think a good way to start off with is to maybe talk a little bit about something that we've we've delved into on other episodes with other wrestlers, which is the style of wrestling that he did. Mm. I have shown you a few matches. Yeah. I, I'd i like you to maybe describe the experience because we're not going to be doing match ratings, obviously. But, you know, I think we watched him and Kurt Angle. We watched him in like Triple H and Shawn Michaels. We watched him and Brett. I tried to show, you know, we watched a little bit of some clips of him and Eddie in, in, in New Japan as well when he was the, the Wild Pegasus. More of a sense just so you could kind of see when people were talking about that style, what they meant. Because that's it. When you ask fans of his how they feel about him, a lot of them still say, oh, he's one of the best technical wrestlers of all time who has ever lived. So we think we you know, we want to kind of, I don't know, have a look at that for ourselves. Yeah. I enjoyed elements of his wrestling style. He is undoubtedly gifted. Technical wrestling is something I've kind of come around on more the more I've watched wrestling. Yeah. I think when I first started as a fan, when we first started this podcast, I was much more into the kind of, flip-dee-doo, young book the, the style. The bombast. The bombast, yeah. yeah. And the Ashtude era kind of explosive storylines. Whereas technical style wrestling is something I've kind of come around more on after episodes on Kurt Angle, on Bret Hart, people like that. Kenny Omega, I think, was a good... Mm. I mean, for, for me, I, I mean, I'll show you how long it, it can take to develop an appreciation. It was, you know, I'd say six or seven years ago, I remember you and I being in a local indie show and seeing, like, you know, Zack Sabre Jr., like, like we were in the front row and just like seeing it that up close. I was like, oh, mm. you know, I, I, I think I get it. I've been watching wrestling for, at that point, 20 years, I think it was. Yeah. So yeah, it's certainly something that like, it's, it's you're going to hear a lot from very tenured fans, I think about technical wrestling and appreciating mm. and, and his place in the pantheon of technical wrestling greats, mm. I guess. 
for me, my main takeaway was the first match we watched, which in my mind was like, well, you know, not many people have been reaching forward recommending matches, but a few people have said, this one's really great. And I showed you him and Kurt Angle. And I remember, like, you just kind of being, eh. Yeah. And I love Kurt Angle. Yeah. And it is a, hey, what a just few in, in completely in absentia. It is a great wrestling match. Mm, okay. But, like, it was very obvious to me immediately mm. that whatever you want to do your art from the artist thing, it's like, for a lot of people, that's kind of impossible. And I don't want to speak for you, but, like, was that possible? Or or was it, you know, what was that experience like for you? Look, I don't know if it's because I'm a newer fan. I don't think it is that. I think there's something you've, else. You've got your tenure now, honey. Like, you've been watching yeah, wrestling a while. Newer. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you are asterisk in comparison to old man yeah. man over here, like... I am able to kind of separate the two. Look, I... Jerry Lawler is kind of an example for me. I hate Jerry Lawler. I hope he explodes. I still think he is one of the greatest professional wrestlers who has ever lived. That doesn't change the fact that I hope he explodes, as I said. I am able to watch Chris Benoit matches and not think about him murdering his family. I'm a freak, maybe. I don't know. I don't expect other people to be able to do that. Purely based on his wrestling style, I thought, yeah, there were bits that were great. He's very fast. He's very snappy. Do you remember you saying, is that it at the end of the first match? I mean, look, it's difficult because as a modern fan... You're spoiled. I see this stuff all the time and I see it done better. I mean, like, you just... (laughs) I just think 2023 is an interesting year to be doing this episode. Just from talking about this element of it, I mean... Look at an AEW alone. I mean, I think of Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson. That's the greatest technical wrestling match I think I've ever mm. seen. It's a level so far above yeah. anything I'd ever seen before. You know, Osprey and Omega that we did for, for you know, we, we watched that. We watched iterations of that for the last episode. I do feel like people need to come to grips with the fact that, like, if we're just judging wrestling objectively on, like, how good or how intense, what's the style like, all that, like... We've moved past that. And you can't tell me that it's not just nostalgia for many people saying like, like there are people who are like, I swear to God, were like, you could put any Chris Benoit matchup against any modern wrestling match and it'll blow it out of the water. You are absolutely talking shite. But no, I don't actually think they are because this is... Because I just think that's just nostalgia. And, but, and so also, what? I hate that people just describe them as this and I still like the matches and I feel bad when people tell me that. So it's, it's this... It's it's just everyone has this fucking complex ball of emotions wrapped up inside them. It doesn't matter. Wrestling is subjective. Yeah. Their truth is true to That's them. True. That's they true. They aren't lying yeah. when they say in their opinion it holds up. Just because it holds up for them doesn't mean it has to hold up for everyone else. But I just think of this idea that like if you got rid of all the Chris Benoit matches in the world that we'd somehow have like the overall standard of wrestling. Like, if you're a new fan, go to try and watch wrestling. And be like, oh my god, you're missing out. I'm like, you're fucking nuts. Yeah, you're not. Like, you, I'll give you great matches for days. Yeah, you know, there's that that element of him mm. is readily filled by people who came before him, during his time, and after the fact. Yeah, you know that. I don't know, but like, I really enjoyed the match we watched. It was the Owen Hart tribute match that he had with Brett. Yeah, thought that was amazing, and. They were very in sync with each other's styles. They really mm. fit each other nicely. But even that, I felt, went on way too long. Like, I feel Chris Benoit's wrestling style feels, to me, incredibly self-indulgent and almost like for the boys instead of for the fans. Because they 
it doesn't really make sense psychologically. I'm I'm big in this podcast. You never listened to this before, and as we said before, please go back and listen to literally <laughs> any other episode. I'm big on stories, yeah, yeah, in yeah. wrestling, and maybe rationale, I guess, rationale, yeah. psychology, pacing, stuff like that. Which is why I love Jerry Lawler as a wrestler because he is able to work so smart. He is able to control the audience with just a look. Yeah. Chris Benoit puts so much effort into everything he does. But like, for what? For why? Because like, yeah, he can put on these amazing matches, but then at the highlight of the match, to me, the most important part, the climax, he then goes and does a diving headbutt, which looks like absolute shit. And in my opinion, breaks kayfabe. It exposes the business because no one uses their head as a weapon in that way. And Headbutts are used all the time in wrestling. Headbutts, sure. But no one gives a headbutt and then comes out covered in blood themselves. That's it. He'd do this diving headbutt and then he'd be covered in blood. Psychologically, that makes no sense. And I know because I'm a newer fan, I think about that stuff probably more than people like you who've grown up with it. But I do think a lot about that stuff in wrestling, about like why it would or wouldn't make sense for wrestlers to do certain moves. The Tree of Woe, perfect example. It makes no (laughs) sense to me. It pisses me off. But at least the Tree of Woe is safe. At least the Tree of Woe isn't going to give someone permanent brain damage. So when you're saying as well that the style feels self-indulgent and it's more kind of for like, I don't know, bigging himself up and like the boys or whatever it is. I mean, I guess we're, we're skirting around the fact that it's, it's, He's someone who grew up as an obsessive wrestling fan. You know, Brett talked about him being you know in the front row at all the Stampede shows, and he idolized the Dynamite Kid. Yeah, who did that diving headbutt, which was originally invented and popularized by Handsome Harley Race, who we've mm-hmm. talked about in some of our pay per view classics recently. And you know, Harley Race was like, "Please, everyone, don't do this diving headbutt. It's it's bad. I'm in pain every single day, and yeah. like it's like." Why, remember you were asking me a while ago, like, why do people think Harley Race is so tough? I'm like, because he is in the pain that he is all the time. Mm. And was just like, hello, I am Harley Race. But like, it's wrestling. As far as I know, all wrestlers are in pain yeah. literally all the time. I know, but like, you talk, there's, there's pain, there's like, neck and spine pain is a different breed. But like, again altogether. though, loads of wrestlers have neck and spine yeah. pain. And you're going to get that anyway. Yeah. So he's saying, don't jump off the fucking top rope and land on your head because you're going to make that 10 times worse. Di- just, Dynamite Kid was in a fucking wheelchair. I just feel know? it's difficult for fans and trainee wrestlers to really take stuff like that seriously without kind of proof of how much worse he is meaning here. Because it's one thing to say, oh no, this is worse. But like, you kind of don't believe it, do you? Until you but experience like, it yourself. If you're Chris Benoit and the man you idolize is in a fucking wheelchair and his brain is fucking ravaged and like, you know, Dynamite Kid is a fucking sad goddamn story. And that is because of the diving headbutt. That's because of that diving headbutt. Because bush, Harley Race, know. I know he was in extreme pain for like his whole life, mm. but he seemed to be perfectly fine. That's why he's considered to be so fucking tough and, you know, such a badass and all that. But it's just... But that's nothing to do with toughness. But I'm not sure what your point is. Are you saying that it wasn't an adequate warning or you can see, understand why he would end up doing that? What's 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 your issue I can then? understand why someone like Chris Benoit wouldn't take what Harley Race said seriously. Why wouldn't he take what the Dynamite Kid, his literal idol, would say? Would Like, look at him. He's in a fucking wheelchair. Yeah. You know, he destroyed himself. But I think he could also look at Harley Race and go, yeah, but he's fine and he's been doing it longer. I... I kind of feel like we've we've come across this issue a few times in previous episodes. You're looking at McFoley and stuff like yeah. that of the kind of, I don't know, or or pal Matt Ricardo told us a story when we were at Raw watching Kurt Angle get decimated in one of his last matches against Drew McIntyre, and he was talking about the kind of 
that macabre side of like the the performer who wants to kind of give everything and yeah. how we as the audience end up just like it's why I was drawn to McFoley. He'll do anything. He'll jump off a hell in the cell. Yeah, he oh loves my it. god. <laughs> you know, and he loves pain as well. That's so cool. And I I agree with your point about it being selfish in so much as I think a lot of that style, that high intensity, was about showing the world. Look what I you know, look what I can do. It was a, it was yeah. It was about obviously trying to maybe elevate wrestling as a whole and try and up the kind of the, the standard of it. I don't see how it does you know? that for the record. Yeah, you know, he, he inspired a lot of people. You know, Will, so? <laughs> Will Ospreay on the anniversary was doing diving headbutts and crippler cross well, like, faces in AW. If he didn't do the diving headbutt, if, if if the diving headbutt never existed, what Will Ospreay wouldn't be a wrestler? No, I think no, that's the thing. I, I think that Benoit would probably still be you know. He, he would have had the career he would have had and would have still been considered. I mean, I'm with you in the sense of, I remember my brother, we used to laugh at the, the diving headbutt. Yeah. Because we used to see the WCW matches where the ring was smaller and he wouldn't even jump. He'd just fall. He'd just fall face, he'd just face plant right So do you mat. think he looks shit? Oh, yeah. Because like, I know, I asked people in, uh, like our fans, fans of Chris Benoit, what they thought of the diving headbutt and it was completely split. Some people think it looks awesome and other people think it looks shit. I can't see that move without thinking about everything wrapped up in it it's like it makes me like it makes me think of brian danielson and the damage he did to himself and like brian danielson i consider to be one of the weirdest but let's you know if we're talking about book learned in here i think he's one of the more intelligent people in wrestling in a business that's often full of people who are fucking idiots like yeah and he still did it and you know he modified it and he would put the arms out and stuff like that there are safer ways to do it but like does it make it safe safer safer safer, you know you're you're reducing that impact on the neck and spine for is sure it, i'm i realize you may not know the answer to this but like an elbow drop say macho man yeah. is that as safe as putting your arms up and doing the diving head you're not landing on your head are you but like neither are you sides. if you put your arms up right i know but what is you're bracing yourself and you'll find that their their arms will go there and they'll still kind of hit the mat or hit hit I the see. person in person you're, you're bracing yourself you're still making impact you know right. and like something that i someone i knew who does wrestling told me which is when people are going off that top rope I don't think the, the average fan understands the momentum that is gathered just simply by being 200 and something pounds of muscle falling from a height. Yeah. That's an intense fall for for any number of reasons. Mm. And it's going to hurt. And that was a big thing about Benoit when people were talking about you know his style and all that. It didn't just pertain to, hey, here are the big matches and it's like two or three times a month like in AEW now, Kenny Omega might have a big kick-ass match. Or like Mick Foley, he'd save the big spots yeah. like jumping off the cell for he, a big pay-per-view. But he might do the things that would make you think that he's going to do something crazy when you realise, oh, Mick just has a leaf blower on this episode of Smackdown right. in 1999 he's taking it a little bit easier or whatever. Benoit, though, was one of those guys, you went and you saw a house show, and I know a lot of people went to those WWE house shows in those mid-2000 period, and like, he fucking, 30 minutes, bell to bell, he'd do a fucking absolute clinic. You know, and he's not going to be the guy who's going to go out and be like, eh, we got their money, we might do a simple kind of house show. Mm. You know, people want to see the spots. Benoit would be out there, he would, jumping on his fucking head, doing that diving headbutt every single goddamn night, and that's when they would have been doing it four or five times a week, minimum. So it's not that technical wrestling style is risky. It's just the diving headbutt and those types of risks that he took. This factor, which is going to perform part of a myriad of other factors, it's like within that, it's like, I think it's the combination of that intensity, that nonstop element of it, the kind of not taking pain as pain, taking pain as like kind of a punishment or a reward or whatever it is. I think you pointed out when we were watching a lot of the matches, it was very obvious that a lot of those things that he was doing was to give himself adrenaline rushes and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, so this is my hot take. I think he did the diving headbutt because he enjoyed it. I think he got 
a, I think he got a kick out of it. I think well, he got a rush. What, I think... the pop from the crowd? Of course. Yeah. Any wrestler who does, that's part of the damage of wrestling. And also, you I can place yeah. that feeling of adrenaline. The pop, the adrenaline, the, and. The come down afterwards, brother, let me tell you. There's also ties to self harm. Yeah. Self harming, when people do it for psychological, mental health reasons, they. It, it, increases adrenaline and dopamine and it makes you feel good things and makes you want to do it more it's kind of addictive so and you know because he's a technical wrestler people kind of assume oh it's you know it's a no gimmicks type of a style it's you know it's all in the ring but like i showed joe so many clips and bits that have blazed into my memory of him diving off doing the headbutt off the top of a cage on top of the elimination chamber jumping to the outside through like just a tiny table nothing else landed face first on the fucking ramp you know, the suicide dive that he did in the match against Jericho, where Jericho just wanged a chair right into the top of his fucking head. Mm. You know, I Because I say, I think chair spots is, again, another factor. Huge part of it. Which maybe people who emphasize on the technical wrestling aspect don't mention. Yeah. Because that's the more of a, the extreme, hardcore style of unprotected chair shots to the head. And I think anytime you approach something like wrestling with an aggressive level of perfectionism that he was known for, it is going to fuck up your body and fuck up your mind. Mm. You know, the, the story has been told a million times from Chris Jericho is them having a kick-ass drag-out brawl in, uh, in New Japan. And suddenly Jericho did a spin kick and Benoit like, didn't make contact with it and he sold anyway. And he went to the back and they just had this kick-ass match. People were all on their feet. Such a great match. And Benoit's doing 500 standing free squats because... He had to purge himself and punish himself for fucking up. He let himself down. Yeah. I think anyone who has that type of a, well, just got it, got to fuck myself up. I'm like, I don't care if you're like the priest in Carnival whipping himself Mm. or Chris Benoit doing a million squats because you botched a spot. Like it's a show. And at the point when you are no longer part of a show and you're using this show as a medium to punish yourself and purge yourself, the man had issues long before what happened happened. Yeah. Long before there was a tidal wave of grief. And I think that's why I wanted to maybe talk about this in the, in the first instance. Is that that style is... It may seem familiar to us watching from a modern product. Because I think a lot of what he's done has been taken on board and kind of woven in. And mm. But he's not the only one. It's him. It's Guerrero. It's Malenko. It's Jericho. There's all these other yeah. guys at the time. He wasn't the only technical wrestler that's at it, that yeah. time. And he's not the only wrestler that took many unprotected chair shots to the head. Heck because no. we mentioned Mick Foley. Yeah. And okay, he had a slightly easier go once he went to WWE. But as Cactus Jack, he was taking a lot of unprotected chair uh, shots uh, Honey, honey, uh, I'll tell you, WWE, he probably took as many bad or worse. Because yeah, that's where the point in his career where he thought, I couldn't do as many things athletically. Mm. So I will take the I chair shot to. to the head for the pop. Instead, the Ken Shamrock episode. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he's a freak. Like, he loves taking chair Like, actually enjoys it. Yeah, he it. said on the interviews he loves taking chair shots to the top of the head. But even he said that there's a skill to doing it. He said you have to take it to the forehead. And Fucking I hell. Have... I, that still I sends chills down my spine. But like... look, to be fair, if you're going to headbutt someone, like self-defense, they do say there's a certain part of your skull which is slightly thicker and that's where you do it. You I'm not, at... I'm not yeah. saying that's what we should do. But Ken's head is different from most people's heads. Absolutely. But I want to give context because Chris Benoit it has been noted, would take chair shots unprotected to the back of his head, which is apparently especially dangerous Mm -hmm. when it comes to permanent damage of the brain. I mean, you know, you you look at the trauma that's causing it, we could maybe talk about CTE now and uh, uh, that side of it. The, The big headline that shook us all, I remember, was, hey, he's got the brain of an 80 year old with Alzheimer's. And I think 
with CTE and the discussion about Chris Benoit and the, the, the chronic abuse to his head and the damage that did, I think it is a discussion that has gone on a bit of a journey itself over the last probably decade or so. I think once you're bringing in high-profile court cases, big money, NFL, you know, big incidents, so many emails we've gotten from people talking about, you know, NFL players who, like, shot themselves in the heart and left a note behind saying, please donate my brain to, mm-hmm. you know, and people having discussions about kind of how that because it became kind of a mainstream thing, how it was kind of a, a, an easy excuse. And people think that had been kind of, we were correcting this kind of excuse that was being well, used. Well, because it is being used now as a defence in rape cases and murders. Now, I want to say from the offset, I 100% believe and agree with the conclusions that CTE played a role in what Chris Benoit did. Noble here, a role. It is not a one line and done. For me, saying that, ah, CTE, case closed. Yeah. For me, is as egregious as going, bah, steroids, yeah. case closed. Yes, both are hugely important. Yeah, you can't separate them from what happened. No. But they are not the cause. Chris Benoit's father was part of this kind of push very shortly after his death of... Let's let's donate the brain. Let's study it. Yeah, immediately. And, you know, great things came from that. Christopher Nowinski, who was in featured in the Dark Side during documentary and has been you know part of the Sports Legacy Foundation and has basically wrote the book on this. Everything from the concussion protocol testing that WWE and you know other major sports companies do now to how they come back from that. You know the impact assessments, how they're treated. Like it's it's all changed for the better. You can't deny that. And like I remember being at WrestleMania twenty five, whenever it was. And we're all just queuing up to go to Booker T's autograph signing and Chris Nowinski was literally just walking down the street, saw a load of wrestling fans and was like, hey, do you want to hear about the research? And he just just gathered us all around and literally on the street wow. and did an impromptu lecture. And I remember being like, so fucking, so grateful that, and I thought it, for me, I was studying science at the time. I thought that, that that's the power of good scientific communication. Yeah. He's taken this group of people that has everything from people doing masters in biology to people who've, don't know anything, you know, dropped out of high school or whatever it was, you know, people of all different varying backgrounds and he was able to hold that, hold that court and talk to them about what they were doing and how it's going to help the business and how we're going to move forward. So I think whatever your feelings about it, one way or the other, is it used too much of an excuse or is not used as an excuse enough? You can't deny that it's been pivotal for sports, wrestling, mankind whatever you want to call it you know mm. it's been a really important part of it i think a lot of people latch on to you know, paul Heyman did an interview a while back with with inside the ropes and he's like i don't give a shit about cte fuck him yeah 100 percent agree yeah. you know i feel that some days but i don't think that's a cool thing to say from a guy you like to see tell it like it is but yeah you can't you can't just go oh yeah paul Heyman said fuck it and fuck him and they go i'm not going to listen to any cte evidence now yeah you just can't disregard it as a factor it is because it is like they when they did the autopsy on his brain they found that all four lobes of his brain had severe damage including his brain stem which is like basically every part of the brain was severely damaged we've seen pictures of us it's it it looks like one of those pictures that you get as a warning on cigarette yeah it barely resembles a human organ yeah oh no it doesn't you know it it is it is shocking like you know and as a man who's dissected a brain in his time like i'm I'm telling you that is yeah it looks horrible horrifying yeah so undoubtedly he had cte now cte is something that can only be officially diagnosed when someone dies right which is why it's 
kind of a bit hard to see athletes like NFL players using it as a defense while they're still alive. While they're still alive. And so that that's the thing I was I wasn't aware of that, that you've you've kind of found out a bit about because you know we got a lot of correspondence from from people, a couple of professors, would you believe? Yeah. And studies have been your side where like, hey, they looked at the you know, 300 i'm not giving you the exact figures but like we looked at go 300 nfl players who died from this period to this period at like 85 percent of oh it's more like 90 you know, yeah they, they, they all had had it and like yeah. you know that was a big part of that dark side of the ring is like a lot of the rest is going like shit i probably have it and yeah. like scroll back through all this the episodes here most of them probably do mm. you know and i'm not saying that as like ah it's just it's, it's the reality of what they do you yeah. know the bumps that they take the damage that they did to their body how individuals react to that, I guess, it it can change. And other mitigating factors, as we're discussing, play a role as well. And it's it's complicated and a bit confusing as well. Something I struggled to wrap my head around for a while was the difference between CTE and concussions, repeated concussions. Mm. Because repeated concussions have their own symptoms. Yeah. But what causes CTE, the only significant risk factor is repetitive, mild, traumatic head injury. So, so you might not necessarily be a concussion. Yeah. It could be like bumps. Repeated concussions you know? or repeated bumps. But similarly, you can have loads of concussions and actually not have CTE. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a kind of difficult thing to kind of diagnose until someone dies. With regards to the people who are trying to use this as a defense in, you know, while they're still alive... Do you have any more info on that? They argue that you can kind of figure it out through symptoms. Right. Through CTE symptoms, which is certain factors like... um, And it's difficult because like a lot of medical disorders, they are either comorbid, as in they are more likely to happen with other disorders, or they have crossover symptoms with other other diseases. Mm. So it's, again, almost impossible to diagnose this for sure because it's Mm. like there's no there's currently no test for it outside of chopping up someone's brain right and i think that's maybe where when someone is still alive that issue might come in because it's like as as good as it is obviously that it's changed things like the nfl and all that obviously there is you're dealing with the nfl you're dealing with wb you're dealing with multi-billion dollar companies who obviously want to make sure they're covered and there's probably a lot of money being paid off to make these types of suits yeah. go away because it reflects badly on them etc yeah exactly there's a lot of money being gone yeah. to it so first of all i just want to kind of give a bit of context so what is cte so as i said cte is caused by repeated traumatic head injuries and it stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy and that's the only time i'm going to say that word because i struggle to say it it's a neurodegenerative disease and it's clinically associated with certain symptoms of, and this is how they'd try and diagnose it before death. Again, it's not possible, but they will try. Things like irritability, impulsivity, mm. aggression, depression, short-term memory loss, heightened suicidality. And then with more advanced cases, it would be more severe neurological changes that would include like gait, speech abnormalities, mm. Parkinson's and dementia. So yeah, I know there have been other cases that have been cited where like, you know, Benoit is not the only case of an athlete who had CTE who then did violent things. I know there's been yep. like, you know, people have been killed yep. by athletes who have had this. And I think maybe in all those cases, it's worth bearing in mind there's probably other things at play That's than it. that. Like, I, I don't think yeah. there's any evidence to suggest that despite, you know, those lists of you know increased chances of these things, 
there's no paper anywhere saying if you've got this you're going to likely be a murderer or violent or anything like that violent outbursts are associated with severe cte Mm. but it's important to recognize that violent outbursts is a very broad term and can mean lots of different things it's a big spectrum. Like, yeah, because yes. you go from people snapping, like just being like, yeah. as in like snapping or just so, emotionally. Just yeah, like you know when you feel you're being attacked and you push someone because you don't recognise your your kid anymore. Well, I wouldn't describe what you talked about earlier on in the episode as an outburst because it was so multi-staged. Yeah, and you know so multifaceted and it went on over the course of several days. Yeah, you know? but it is important to acknowledge yeah. that yes, it can cause violent outbursts or at least contribute to. I don't know about cause. Mm. But it can be one of the symptoms. There are behavioural changes, as I said. So, you know, paranoia mm. and... Um, and th- that, that's one that's kind of been cited by a lot of other wrestlers as well, yeah. which is, I know, leading up to the murder and suicide, that he was apparently acting extremely paranoid and, like, changing the ways that he would go home and things like that. But this is the problem I have as well, is, like, a lot of the kind of chat around this from wrestlers has been kind of like retrospective. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I've talked to you about, you know, Jericho's book where like, you know, the first book he had that came out, he's like, look, this tragedy has literally just happened. I wrote this book before it happened. Here's the Benoit I knew. Then the second book came out and it was kind of, there was an air of, I always suspected there was something weird about him. He'd laugh way too much when someone would slip and fall or he seemed kind of cruel and all that. So, it's kind of chicken and egg in many senses because he had yeah. that intense personality. He was known as being extremely shy and a loner and, you know, he was co- Jericho called the Loch Ness Monster. He'd disappear for, for months at a time. So, like, these are all... You look at this list and kind of go, shit, that's Chris Benoit. But was that Chris Benoit then or was it always Chris Benoit and got exacerbated? And again, that's why you can't label you can't, one thing. Yeah. You can't know and there is no way of knowing. There isn't. Because it's not like you could have sliced open his brain in 2001 and then sliced it open again in 2007. And compare and contrast. And compare and contrast. You just was, can't do it's that. It's definitely getting worse. All you can do you know? is measure against symptoms which are self-reported. And let's yeah. be honest, someone like Chris Benoit, a, a lot of male professional athletes don't feel they are able to talk to doctors or loved ones about what they are going through. As to what we were saying earlier, those are the very things about him that made him yeah. one of the most respected people in the locker room was the fact that he never complained, he never griped, mm-hmm. he was always about just doing the business and of, of the match at hand and getting on to the next town and training and making his body as perfect as it could be for the job that he was doing and like it's just worth bearing in mind if you look at any of those kind of traits in isolation and you can you know well maybe those were actually covering for some less positive aspects of his personality it's one of the reasons why the changes in the locker room and the fact that this kind of toxic masculinity is on the wane you know it's still there obviously yeah. but these are things that are covering what could have been red flags, I guess, in the build-up to it? There is certainly evidence that shows he almost definitely was experiencing and suffering from symptoms of advanced CTE. Yeah. At one point, he was bought a journal so that he could write to his friend who died, Eddie Guerrero, mm. whose death really impacted him. And we're going to yeah. talk more about wrestler deaths later. In these journal entries, they were mostly mundane things like went to the gym today, had this for dinner, that type of stuff. But in a couple of entries, he does mention feeling very depressed and experiencing quite significant memory lapses. And there was people were saying as well, like at that time, I know like uh, Nancy's sister talked about how he was 
from that point of Eddie dying, literally until he died, he was in a state of perpetual grief. Yeah. And you know, Jericho talked about how he'd have these bouts of uncontrollable sobbing and I know emotional regulation. Some people were saying, like, oh, that's, you know, that's to do with the, the CTE as well, that you couldn't kind of turn off certain emotions or anything like that. But it's kind of, again, it's one of these things where like, if you just look at that in isolation, you listen to any of the other factors at play, you kind of go, oh, well, that explains everything. That's the easy explanation. He couldn't stop crying because of that. It's like, yeah, but... I don't know about you, but if literally a litany of all my closest people and my wife's closest people all died within the space of a few years, that would probably make me uncontrollably sad. And I don't have CTE. Mm. You know, I would have extreme difficulty. I think we're looking at cases many times here of exacerbation of things that were perhaps already there. Which is kind of exactly what I want to talk about next, really. So we know he had CTE. We know he was experiencing symptoms of that CTE on the run up to the murders and his suicide that is not in question what i would like to kind of look at is whether or not cte can be blamed for the murder which just for the i'm not going to bury the lead i don't think it does i think it's a contributing factor but Mm. i don't think it can be to blame and this kind of leads me on to my next point which is kind of ties into what you were saying about toxic masculinity actually Although you may be surprised as to how, because I want to talk about steroids. Mm. Oh God, this was this was the thing that the media latched onto at the time, and I think that like in two thousand and seven, I got you know latched onto the fucking news cycle about this, and I don't think I've ever gotten off since then. I just they, this this was the thing that made me infuriated with media reporting, and kind of. I felt like I was kind of not brainwashed, but WWE were very easily able to spit a tale for the likes of me Mm. because it's very easy to kind of tell an audience what you want them to believe when the people who are criticizing you are doing so in extreme bad faith because the issue of steroids was kind of brought up in the media, not as like a, this will explain this horrible incident, as more of a kind of, aha, fucking knew it, wrestlers steroids Mm. always knew it fucking knew it vince mcmahon steroids and they were able to kind of pretty much wash their hands and go yep no steroids in his body and even though there were boxes and boxes of steroids found in his fucking home and as we mentioned 10 times the amount of regular testosterone which by the way counts as the steroids yeah because i didn't know any of this before i started research for this episode i've always been interested in the concept of steroids i'll be honest i've even been tempted to take them myself because i think it's a you know cool idea of you know transhumanism being able to change your own body and make yourself stronger and we've talked about on the podcast before as well about Mm. kind of you know we did the world bodybuilding federation episode we had talks about steroids i think people get confused about what a steroid is well i know a steroid is a steroid is something that a man with lots of muscles mm. injects in in a black in a room that's in, it's in black and white and it's like f- a super serum and right? his face is obscured and it goes and he turns into a green hulk monster yeah and the thing is is that you're not allowed to know any more than that you shouldn't yeah. ask about like what types of steroids there are like the case i like to give i've definitely said it before in an episode is i remember when i was like 13 or 14 years old my mum got an eye infection mm. and uh, she had to go to the pharmacy and i was with her and they're like here's your topical steroid cream mrs man and i went what the fuck what? arrest her oh my god yeah mom what are you doing we're gonna bring up jerry mcdevin you she's in big trouble jerry we need you <laughs> we need you now so 
forgive me, I haven't written notes on this, but there are two types of steroids. There's that type of steroid, which is like topical and used to treat a particular like medical issue. Um, they sometimes will give it to patients to like help them overcome an illness or disease yeah. or symptoms it's of an illness. Extremely common. Very common and done with doctor's supervision and perfectly healthy and in fact for many patients very very good my granny was also yeah. on steroids age 95 or whatever and i thought it was hilarious that my little old granny lady was <laughs> on steroids because yeah you think that and you think oh my god she's gonna become a bodybuilder but you see the kind of vagueness around that term allows so many things to happen it allows it allows the you know dodgy doctors working in bad faith with wrestlers to be like oh this is a you know they're on they're on you know every every wrestler who's been done in for steroids had some doctor who was telling them they had it for a legitimate reason at some ah, point. No, so that's know? where it gets complicated. So the type of steroids we were just talking about, the type that my granny would have taken, the type that your mum would have taken, is a slightly different type of medical steroid than the type that bodybuilders get accused of taking. Those are anabolic steroids for building yes, up muscles. They are yeah. anabolic androgen steroids, and those steroids are given to people, like say cancer patients, who need to build up body strength yeah. again who need to be able to like build body mass and stuff like that. And even they are sometimes given to say, okay, like hormone replacement therapy or to trans men, yeah. like men who are older, who have low testosterone, low T counts. Common. They yeah. are given yeah. hormone replacement therapy, which is testosterone and testosterone is a steroid. Cortisol is a steroid and cortisol is the stress hormone. This yeah. is the thing. People hear steroids and they think, oh, it's an injectable no, thing that makes your muscles big, it's but it's a, a category. Yeah. It. yeah. But like that's, that allowed, you know, WWE to kind of pretty much bob and weave and duck and dive and go, no, he's not, you know, you're not using steroids. Right. Cause not in the sense that you think I've bought a labeled needle that says anabolic steroids and I've stuck it into myself like the warlord in the 80s and I've gotten big and strong. So they are careful with this. What they are careful to say is that he was not on anabolic steroids. Mm. Anabolic means muscle building. That's what kind of the word yeah. actually means. And androgenic means producing male characteristics. So like hormone replacement therapy is an androgenic steroid. And when professional athletes, bodybuilders take what people refer to as steroids you know or i mean like roid rage or whatever that is anabolic steroids because it's used for the purpose of bodybuilding mm. without supervision of a doctor that is not to say that it's a different chemical in any way from what you would be given as a cancer patient yeah, yeah. or as a man with low testosterone if you went to your doctor the difference is is that you have it under a doctor's supervision they take blood tests yeah. they check your symptoms and that's not what he was was going through at all like you know he's pretty much unfettered unsupervised there are a know. lot of health risks associated with elevated testosterone if you take it yourself there's a reason why professional bodybuilders cycle testosterone yeah. it's to avoid the knock-on permanent effects of taking testosterone too much for too long it can give you hypogonadism yeah. and which benoit embolisms. Had, you, know. you know you can die so many ways from having too much testosterone yeah. in your body which is why if you're given hormone replacement therapy they carefully monitor your hormones all of your hormones not just your testosterone to make sure they are in balance with each other because too much of one can make you depressed too much of another can make you paranoid too much of another one can make you manic and that's the thing that was wild about benoit was that 
he was being given like you know WWE were able to say oh he, he he's he's not failed any drug tests but he was under an exemption because he was on you know hormone replacement why was he right. on testosterone uh, replacement well because of the effects of all the use of steroids and testosterone over the years yeah if you take steroids it's, it's such a, a bu- easily abusable out yeah. that they've had there if you take steroids long enough it will give you hypogonadism which is testicular insufficiency which is what Chris Benoit was found to have yeah. had they proved that in the autopsy and he had a prescription from his doctor for hormone replacement therapy testosterone to treat his hypogonadism which as we said is a symptom of taking steroids for too long so that's kind of a catch-22 isn't it it's like okay you've taken steroids so much your body no longer has the ability to create its own testosterone so we're going to artificially introduce testosterone into your body now that doesn't sound so bad and that can be perfectly fine under correct medical supervision 10 times the human amount though come on that's interesting again because wwe themselves have said that if it's up to 10 times the amount that doesn't necessarily class as testing positive for steroids because you he, can't he's under the exemption you yeah. can't this is it this is what i'm so interested by you can't really test for anabolic steroids because all you're testing for is testosterone count which can be perfectly fine if it's done under the jurisdiction of a doctor which he had he had a prescription for testosterone but his testosterone levels were incredibly high and also but like, that's it's to the point it's like I, I appreciate you explaining, you know, the procedure and all that, but he wasn't following that procedure because he had boxes and boxes and boxes of steroids and 10 times the amount of testosterone but in his house. legally acquired. I know, but like legally in the most loophole fucking sense of the term possible. That's my point, though. You know? That's how this whole thing works. It's all technicalities. And, you know, there's been obviously a lot of talk about the wellness program over the years. And I'm sure we've fallen afoul of this of kind of the, the narrative, which is... Eddie Guerrero died, then we got serious about drug testing, we had the wellness policy uh, implemented and everything was good for wrestlers. But the reality is, is that you had this happen within 18 months of it, you know, which was, again, not the only reason. It wasn't roid rage as the media fucking savvy pundits were putting out there as an easy headline or whatever. But it was a huge factor within this. Well, let's can you we know? talk about Roid Rage because it's relevant, right? Well, yeah, because all that's that's how WWE got off the hook in the right. core of public opinion. It's like, oh, it's not is... Roid Rage, but like, what? Okay, what is Roid Rage? Because testosterone, elevated testosterone levels, does have significant behavioural. Of course, impact. yeah, it's, it's testosterone. It, may, it can make you more aggressive, and that's that's obvious. But their idea is that he injected himself with steroids, was overcome with this fit of blind rage, and then committed the acts, and then WWE were able to send out Jeremy. McDevitt and their doctor and say well it took place over a series of several days and he's passed his drug tests it wasn't roid rage yeah even though the drug test is just to see but it's a technicality within their own within their own system did he test for steroids technically yes did he test for anabolic steroids well no because that's not a thing but then you know it 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 is not just limited to wwe but it's in all organizations that do drug testing i know you said are extremely extremely militant these days and all that but you know, drug tests for a lot of athletes or performers are there to be beaten or to be gotten out of. And what was shocking to me when we did that reading into how he kind of got off that that testing, it like it reminds me of that thing in the Eric Bischoff episode where Perry Saturn was told, "Hey, you keep testing positive for drugs," and he's like, "Well, stop fucking testing me then." And they did. Mm. And it's like that was 1997. We were like ten years later in this company that was apparently. On a new page, a new leaf, a new dawn after the tragic death of Eddie Guerrero. And the reality was it was still like 
does this guy is it worth our trouble of trying to get this guy off steroids no not really this is the time when Kurt Angle was taking hundreds well, of painkillers and fair, they don't cared he had to be on steroids he it was medically needed for his not genuine that. disorder he had he had hypogonadism he did that but, itself is a serious medical condition which needs treatment of testosterone but doesn't that in its own right mean that he has to get more closely supervised you don't give the guy ten times the fucking amount and boxes upon boxes that's under, such bullshit under WWE's own testing standards ten times the amount is fine it's, that doesn't mean you fail this is why the thing is so fucked know, up right so because yes the doctor gave him ten months worth of testosterone in the space of three weeks which is insane but him having ten times the amount would have passed a drug test at WWE because he's under an exemption clause he's under an exemption but also their standards are too high probably because a lot of their athletes have things like hypogonadism and so they are on testosterone replacement therapy now if you're on hormone replacement therapy on testosterone your levels should be around four times the normal average his were 10 times, as I said, so it would have passed WWE testing. But I just want to quickly talk about some of the side effects of steroid abuse. Sure. Because it's just because it has a lot of crossover with what we were saying earlier about CTE. Yeah. So paranoia, jealousy, aggression, delusions, mania, impaired judgment. They are all the same side effects yeah. we were saying earlier that you can have with CTE, with brain damage. And, you know, you could have listed there. <laughs> you could say this is an example of a lot of the negative feelings and emotions that wrestlers who are struggling in their careers at any point would have had perhaps anyway with the personality that he had you're you're dealing now with like i think that, you know, a lot of people can kind of explain this away and would like to kind of grab on to like this you know i know david benoit his his son feels this way as well which is that wasn't him it was this other guy who kind of came out of the blue but again it's like all these things are kind of compounding mm. perhaps what was already there turn something that was there into something that wasn't there before. Yeah. They're all playing a role. Like, They're all playing you know? a role. Now, I do feel his doctor, who had died a few years back, I believe, the doctor who prescribed him this testosterone. But he, he went down a while after, didn't he? For, for separate he stuff. He yeah. did. He went down for um, giving out too many prescriptions and not following up with medical care, yeah. basically giving patients whatever drugs they wanted. 175 cases, I think, were held against him, but one of them wasn't Chris Benoit. So the Drug Enforcement Administration did say that the amount of prescriptions that he had, the doctor, was excessive. And he did indeed prescribe a 10-month supply of steroids to Chris Benoit every three weeks between May 2006 and May 2007. And yeah, it was found, a federal investigation found that he was giving prescriptions without conducting physical exams. So we don't know if Chris Benoit was like conning this doctor or if the doctor was just mm. neglectful. I don't and know, because that... he is dead and Chris is dead and it's kind of case closed, we will never know, but you can kind mm. of think about yourself. Well, 2007, so we had the signature pharmacy scandal as well. And, you know, in the history of wrestling behind every performer who's gotten uh, unfettered access to steroids is a doctor who either A, is a fan, or B, wants to play ball or or make a lot of money or whatever it is. But he wasn't the first, you know, nor was he the last. And I think it's just, it's worth bearing in mind because that's like, what, like 15-ish years ago or whatever it is. Mm. You know, people like to kind of think that that whole, that was all, that was all the 80s. And that was all back then. No, not at all. Not I think, all, I think steroids know? are more used now than probably ever before. Not necessarily in professional wrestling, just in society in general. Yeah, they're, they're out there, you know, that's um, for sure. Quite quite a large number of just normal people now yeah. use it. So we've got 
kind of a couple of the contributing factors here now, I yeah. think, haven't we? And there's a lot of crossover and it's impossible to tear the two apart when you look yeah. at the symptoms. The CTE and the steroid use are both very interlinked with each other. And I think those are the two, you know, with the case of the steroids in the short term and CTE in the long term, yeah. I think they form the two biggest media narratives that kind mm. of came out of this. And that was kind of why I think there was such a laser focus, you know, perhaps was because for so long it was like the story was no longer about Chris Benoit the horrible things that he did and the, the monster he was. It was about, oh, they're coming after WWE about this old steroids thing. And, mm. you know, John, I've already done it once. And it's like, you know, I remember feeling so full of indignation that there's a lot of bad faith journalism going on. Like I would remember... You'd have, here's a lineup of our guests tonight. We've got Mark Merrow, Steve Blackman. We've got Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer. And we've got uh, Jerry McDevitt. And we're going to have a roundtable discussion about what went on. And then you sit down and be like, right, Jerry McDevitt, you get 10 minutes to talk unfettered. You tell us exactly what you want us to to hear. And then he leaves. And then the rest of them all argue over each other and shout over each other and stuff like that. The Boris Johnson of lawyers. Well, that was it. It was just, you know, and they controlled that narrative well. It became, you know, you mentioned about you know, how there wasn't a court case, because there wasn't a criminal case into this. This was tried in the court of public opinion. And WWE, you know, they're pretty damn good in the actual court of law, a good track record there. But it was a masterclass in the, in, in terms of their their evasion, I guess. Because yeah. there was, you know, congressional hearings were called. They brought the McMahons down, Dixie Carter from TNA. They all had to testify in front of Congress. Nothing happened. It went nowhere. Well, the trouble you know? is, is, it's a really complicated, confusing subject. Like, professional wrestling alone is so difficult to wrap your head around if mm-hmm. you're an outsider. But then, to <laughs> understand what steroids are and how they can be misused requires an understanding of both WWE in this case, but also a bit of a science background yeah, to you, understand that side. You look at the other side, and it's like, right, you got WWE, you got Vince McMahon, and you've got you know Jerry McDevitt. What's that? A cause for misinterpretation? Yeah. How could we possibly use this to? It's as if our entire business is built upon and, you know making you think something yeah, else. They're very good at lying. There's a lot of misinformation about steroids, and Vince McMahon has been the master. Him and Jerry yeah. McDevitt are the masters of that. And look. Say so right off the bat, Vince McMahon has taken steroids. He knows more about steroids than most of the people who were probably prosecuting him of giving out steroids. And so he's the perfect person to be able to say, well, do you mean I wasn't giving anabolic steroids? I was giving testosterone supplements. Yeah, if Vince and them were able to run circles around the federal government on this issue, yeah, even though it made a bit of noise, they could run circles around Fox News and Nancy Grace about this issue. Mm-hmm. And they did. Because yeah. I remember, the only thing I was most pissed off at that time, didn't care about the drug policy or anything, I was so pissed off that John Cena did an interview about the Benoit tragedy, you know, and he was asked about steroids. Mm. And then when they released the interview, they chopped it up and they edited it. Yeah. And then WWE were like, oh my God, oh my God, they chopped it up and edited it. That's ridiculous. He took his words out of context. And they were like, here, we had our camera person in the room. Here's the full 15 minute so video. Smart. Where he kind of like more or less said the same thing but because you're like look edit cut look the, the clock moved mm-hmm. and all of a sudden yeah Chris Benoit wasn't on steroids but he was he was I mean, he was on steroids yes he was yeah. on testosterone which is a steroid they didn't whether care whether or not you know. whether or not he was on illegal steroids though has not been proven because the steroids he had in his house were legally prescribed by a doctor the thing they cared about was not trying to give the audience or the wider public an understanding of what happened 
They simply wanted you to disassociate steroids from WWE. Yeah. That's not what this company is. Which is is. quite easy to do, really, because... They were able to. Lots of policymakers, especially in the US, where the government skews male and older, are all on hormone replacement therapy. So as soon as you start to look too deep into the whole roid rage thing, it quickly becomes instead a discussion around like, okay, well, how much is too much testosterone for a doctor yeah. to prescribe? And that's a whole separate issue then. It's nothing to do with WBB. Well, it's easy to protect yourself against, you know, salacious media that was, you know, that moved on to the next thing pretty much shortly thereafter. Yeah, and it, of course. it broke my heart when I'd be watching these shows where they were like, they're like, look at all the wrestlers who've died and they'll just list out a load of pictures. Here's a, here's a graphic. Here's a hundred wrestlers. We're going to pronounce their names all wrong. And, you know, and that that for me was probably the most upsetting part about the discourse was, A, the misrepresentation of, of wrestling and how I felt like a lot of people were kind of coming out of the woodwork for a quick payday or whatever it was. Like, there were a lot of wrestlers who just had axes to grind. And they're like, let me tell you about, you know, Vince McMahon. He didn't book me to win this. And like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you're, you're, on, you're on national news. You're talking about booking decisions and your career and shit like that and trying to get yourself over. But, like, I thought the flippancy at which wrestlers' deaths were used... Just as like to prove a point about about wrestling and about about you know without any care or or humanity about the people who had lost their lives. I think it's something we are going to talk about now and the, the role that that yeah. played in it because I feel you know at that time society was so much more cruel anyway with regards to addiction because steroids are addictive and if you take steroids for a long time and then you stop you will get withdrawal and even to this day i was reading a scientific study literally last night saying that doctors are not educated enough on steroid withdrawal syndrome it's very much not understood fully yet even by sports scientists and i feel if you were a drug addict or an alcoholic at that time period of the mid 2000s society was very callous and cruel to addicts at that time and And names were drawn out not with any sympathy or remorse for what happened because it was like look at this wrestler who's died before the age of 40 and it's like not because it's sad it's because this disgusting business and look at them they made these terrible choices and well and also because steroids weren't seen as being an addictive but a lot of these people didn't die because of steroids no exactly but that's the thing that all gets wrapped up you know so yeah I mean I think everyone knows that Eddie Guerrero's passing you know affected Benoit extremely deeply you know it affected wrestling fans deeply you know, to this day, I think that those two are forever linked just because they were such friends in life and they shared so many uh, moments in the ring. And also they shared kind of a, a there was a shared vision or, or passion or kind of style, intensity, whatever you want to call it. I feel like in many ways in Chris Benoit's death, he kind of permanently associated Eddie's death with him. And I feel like Eddie's kind of death is spun off into its own thing. I feel like Eddie's death is almost like a separate topic to Eddie Guerrero, the man. But I think, like, in a lot of instances, it's kind of a simplification where it's like, all right, Chris Benoit was uh, an intense, sad individual who experienced unparalleled grief with his best friend dying, and then he got into drugs and these other things happened to him and he lost his mind. I think it's probably definitely worth bearing in mind that Eddie wasn't the only death. I think we alluded to that earlier, but there were a lot of other people. It wasn't just kind of names in the industry. There were people who were very close to him yeah. who passed away as well. Stuff that I hadn't even really considered. Like I mentioned the big boss man earlier, but apparently that was 2004. Mm. When the boss man passed away, like that absolutely devastated him. Like that yeah. was when he was apparently at the point of telling people, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in this business. And you've seen this over and over again with people kind of almost overwhelmed by grief. There's too much of it. And yeah. you stop processing it and like it's one thing as a fan but if you like work with these people you 
travel the roads with them. And you, they're dying of risks associated with your own career path. Yeah, that hard life that you're yeah. living. Another one that quite close to it, obviously Sherry Martel was yeah. within a few weeks of it. She was quite close with the family. And by it, you mean him murdering his family. Yes. Yeah. And another one that was also very, very close, and this was one that I didn't know about, was uh, Johnny Grunge, who was from a, you might remember from an ECW episode with the kind of the formative tag teams there, a guy's called Public Enemy. Not the type of, you know, hardcore wrestler from Philly. I wouldn't have assumed he would have been like a confidant, but he was apparently not just close with them. When Nancy and Chris would have their many fallings outs and fights and things like that, he apparently was the, the kind of the bridge between the both of them. He was the guy who apparently helped them reconcile on several occasions. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm, I'm not, not here to say, but yeah. his passing away, and he died young, you know, he was in very early 40s. That was also devastating. The thing is, as well, he wasn't a poster child for WWE and a figurehead and WWE champion and all these big things that Eddie Guerrero was. So these, you know, same with Sherry, like they were less important people to the, to the industrial complex that is WWE television being yeah, produced there's no so clips of him hugging sherry martell at the end no. of a wrestling match unlike no. him with eddie there was no sherry martell tribute show no. there's no you know to camera confession about what sherry meant to him or what you know johnny grunge meant to him or i know black cat another is one of his mentors from japan died around that time as well so this is all very very close together but even the names you're saying here is like a massive under exaggeration of mm-hmm. exactly how many deaths there were because we went through the number of people he would have just been working with who died mm-hmm. And I think we got up to 20, 25 yeah. names in the space of two or three years. Yeah, that's weird from like kind of, it was like oh two or three up yeah. to 07 and there was and I can't, which nonstop. I can't, the only thing I can possibly compare that experience to, I imagine, would be war. Like, Just people who's yeah. dead today, like. Yeah, in, in terms you know? of experiencing that level of loss. Mm. You know, Brett, Brett in his book, when we read that for, for the episode. Yeah. He talked about like, he just li- he listed like it was like a dozen names yeah. of like people who were so close to him. It's like and none of them are here, you know. And I feel a lot of wrestlers have their colleagues as a support system, and Chris Benoit was definitely one of those men. Where a lot of the wrestlers who died were part of his support system. Mm. And so when you're someone who doesn't talk a lot anyway, yeah, you, that's a, like you might because a lot of people are like kind of ah he was kind of quiet and all that, but. In my experience, anyway, when someone is kind of quiet and they don't talk to a lot of people, if you are one of the few people that they do talk to, boy, you're a lot more important mm. than you might assume yourself to be, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, on the one end, he's experiencing all these deaths that probably remind him of his own mortality. And on the other end, he's lost his support network, mm. which, you know, I think going through either one of those things would be it would drastically change your outlook on life. And I think as well, you know, Eddie Eddie and him had this kind of almost like codependence on each other yeah, where definitely. I felt like, you know, Eddie obviously was affected greatly by all these other deaths that were happening as well. Mm. You know, for him, it was his religion or his spirituality that helped he him through. to turn those deaths into something almost positive for him because he managed to kind of... He channeled that into yeah, something. he became but, sober and he got his life together. But I think Chris, he didn't find religion. He just, I think, became more kind of... Ooh codependent on eddie it felt like he definitely did find religion which, but yeah it was know, it was always through eddie's perspective which meant that you know when eddie died and that was it it's like the way that it's recounted how when chris finds out about eddie it's literally like he was almost dreading it it's like not say he knew it was coming but he understood at that time how 
devastating this was. How Look, how he was how... completely out in the in in the wilderness after that. How could you live through all those deaths at that even just at that time and not be thinking shit? Who's next? Who who of my friends or me? Is it me? Yeah. Who is it going to be next? Like, I have a bit of health anxiety, and I have been in periods of my life where. You know, say like you go out to the shops and I don't hear from you in a while. Yeah. I'm like, oh god, he's been in a car accident. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking online to see for like car accidents <laughs> in the area. And sometimes your brain, if your chemicals are unbalanced or you've got a mental health disorder, they go to some dark places. So, yeah, yeah figures that he kind of not saw it coming but expected it to happen. And it's odd when you hear stories as well how in that kind of 2006 period because I think we watched that interview that David Benoit did, and I think also Nancy's sister Sandra she mentioned it as well. That there were kind of somewhat attempts made to kind of around this time, you know, after Eddie's death of maybe maybe time to wind it down a little bit. He was offered a producer role, which he turned down. He had apparently had plans set up for a training academy, like the t-shirts were made, you know. But he was very unwilling to get to that next phase. And, you know, in terms of his in-ring style, you know, as we mentioned earlier... It wasn't as if all these deaths and all the stuff that was happening around him caused him to like slow it down, change it up. I mean, we, we, there's been comparisons made a lot in the tweets and stuff like that to, to Brian Danielson, kind of obviously some of the style that he's taken. But like Brian is a guy I think that you and I have found so fascinating as we've watched over these last you know nine years together of seeing him change his style in reaction to his own health and to kind of you know the the changing landscape of wrestling around him. He also cares so much about like. Yeah, it's, there's definitely a comparison to be made there because they both... Because Benoit did not they change love, at all. <laughs> they love wrestling, right? Yeah. But Brian is smart enough to realise that in order to love wrestling and give back to it as much as he wants, he needs to invest in his health. Mm. So he keeps an eye on things like his testosterone levels or, you know, his you know, make sure he does all those complicated math puzzles before and after every match to he test all the cryo-treatments levels. and yeah. oxygen therapy. He does, he's at the cutting edge. He spent probably millions of dollars hmm. investing in his long-term health. Chris Benoit didn't do No, he didn't. Nothing. It was didn't harder, care. faster, stronger, bigger. The more, matches, more, 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 more. He was bigger than ever when he died. You know, I think something people don't talk about, but he did have in his system, you know, painkillers that style yep. that he was on you I mean, know have you heard about his heart that, I, that was something i was going to bring up with you both his heart and his liver as well oh it's why i read his autopsy yeah and his body was all fucked up inside like everything yeah. was wrong and looked in, like the same thing that eddie eddie, yeah. eddie passed away from uh, an a large heart, heart yeah. brackets the bit we don't want to usually talk about is due to a mystery of, of drug abuse yeah chris benoit you know the fa- it was the the family ordered a kind of a secondary autopsy that found this, and the the coroner that they hired, he speculated that he'd be dead by two thousand and eight. Yeah, because his you heart know. was three times the normal size. Did he and know he that? Had other health? Well, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. If he's not going, to- that's it. There's like a certain level of responsibility you have to take yourself mm. and advocate for yourself. Like, because doctors aren't going to be able to magically scan your body for illnesses. Like, no. if you're experiencing, I don't know, the symptoms of an enlarged heart, then you need to speak to a doctor. But there was like this is the thing. This is so. He didn't care about that. He just wants to get bigger. There's so much. There's so there's so many things. Yeah, and they all feel relevant. You know the. The fact that his mood was apparently, yeah. you know, changing all the time. People describing him as being like mad all the time, and like yeah. I can't really paranoid. Yeah, I I can't help but think of like you know if he's the guy where he was punishing himself when things weren't going his way. Him being 
you know, he was moving further down the card in some respects. You know, mm-hmm. he had a, a world title run in 2004, but he didn't get to that level again. I remember when that stuff was being brought up, like where like he had Nancy Grace being like, oh, he was drafted to ECW. So no wonder he killed himself and his wife and child. And I'm like, what the fuck? But knowing as seriously, as intensely as he took every minute element of his career, that was probably making him think, I have to go harder, I have to go faster, I have to go, you know, that was... But he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, 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 and know I don't have sympathy whatsoever so as a result. of me, but I don't care. But like, he... He, you know, all this talk of, oh, he loved wrestling, he just wanted to be a wrestler. Well, he wasn't very good at it, though, was he? Because ultimately, wrestling is about legacy and drawing a crowd and having a long, as long a career as you can get, and right? Puts, and he did like, nothing to yourself. help that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, he did none of that. You protect your opponent, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, but you have to protect yourself because it's just, like, he was taking liberties yeah. with himself with what he was doing to his body. Yeah. You know, and it's not just because, oh, he was doing... Got to slow it down there, Chris. No, it wasn't that. It was literally, he was he was abusing himself. And okay, maybe, you know, he didn't know that he was experiencing CTE because it wasn't as understood then. But the truth is he was experiencing very serious medical symptoms mm-hmm. that he should have spoken to a doctor about. But instead, he was off getting more prescriptions for testosterone. Yeah. Because I think like a half-hearted Johnny Ace would be like, Hey, Chris, do you want to be a producer? Yeah, I didn't think so. Just thought I'd ask anyway. Yeah. That's their due diligence. Well done, guys. Pat hey. ourselves on the back. And... It was something that I think I said to you last night when we were kind of wrapping up a lot of our, our research. And I wasn't you know, sure if I made it clear or not. But like in 2007, you could have taken Chris Benoit off of any card. And this was me who was a fan of his work at the time. And it wouldn't have made a sod's bit of difference. Mm. He was in no way pivotal to the running of that company. There was no card that was going to be put out that if he wasn't on business was going to be affected one way, shape, or form. If they put the world title on him, it wasn't going to move numbers. Like, I'm just being totally devil's advocate from a strictly business point of view. Just, if I'm trying to get into the mindset of WWE of why you needed this guy who had fucking 20 alarm bells ringing all around him after the death of Eddie Guerrero, why you needed to put him on there. Yeah, why was he allowed such high... Because they did, they would have known about the testosterone. Of course they did. They would have seen him. They know what he was doing in the ring. And they decided, nah, that's a risk we're willing to take. He went from Guerrero's funeral onto a plane for one of those hellacious European tours. You're Mm. the ones that's like 10 days nonstop. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, and like, I hate to say because I'm a fan of the guy, you know, but like JR was head of talent relations with Johnny Ace at the time. He had he had responsibility yeah. there. And it's one of the worst things. People like to talk about you know, the bad old days and all that. About you know the way people would talk to each other. And the, the way that people are expected to act and all that. But it's that. It just reminds me of like the fucking feel of that line. About like the crippling silence. Yeah. That silence is fucking deadly. And mm-hmm. it I don't want to say it necessarily could have been prevented. Because he was a monster. And who knows what could have happened. But you can't tell me that that company didn't know something was up. Someone, somewhere. It's not a. Little, it's not like ECW. It's like a mom and pop shop. And there's two guys running everything. That was a. That was a publicly traded company. Well, the difficulty is, is it's about risk and reduction of risk, and it's exposure. The- so it's too much exposure to address this problem. So WWE, because there's no uh, external regulatory body for professional wrestling. They can set their own standards by what they consider like reasonable yeah. use of testosterone yeah, yeah. and that's fine and no one's going to hold them to account or go, well, hang on a second, that's a bit high, isn't it? Because they don't need to. 
And it's easy for me to say that now with hindsight and for, for us to, to look at, you know, the facts you presented there. But I just feel like we've gotten through like a lot of really big, these are the kind of the core things that might have been like kind of, some people might latch onto as the sole explanations or at least a large part of the explanations. Again, you, depending on you, you're going to put different stock in different yeah. ones that we've done here. But even going through everything there about CTE, steroids, his own personality, his style, the the the, the state of the business as it relates to rest or death, the state of the business as it relates to care for the athletes, yeah. his own violent past, his own relationship with Nancy and their fraught relationship the restraining order, the divorce, all that, even with all of that taken in as a whole and other things I'm sure we've not mentioned and it's been over 10 years, it still is perplexing to me. Why? Because it's still, it's so far above and beyond. Like we were listening to Jericho's interview with the sister and he literally at one point said, have you ever been in a relationship, have you ever been married, you can kind of understand why in the spur of a moment that someone might want to kill their partner. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Well, you maybe don't, his wife. <laughs> I I don't know, but I'm not. I I no. I, do I kill me? Any? Oh, go on, just a little bit. I've shed a lot of tears this fucking week, and I've I've had a lot of fucking nightmares along the way, and I've had a lot of like stress headaches, and I still don't suppose to know why someone would do something like that. Right. So I that leads us kind of then to what I consider to be the reason he did it which is it was a choice he made because you can look at people with advanced CTE. You can look at people with extremely elevated testosterone levels. You can look at people who've lost everyone they've ever known in their entire country to genocide and they won't necessarily commit homicide and murder their family. So none of those other factors explain why mm. he did it. The, the only thing that explains it is that he decided to do yeah. it. At some point, whether or not he was in, inverted commas, his right mind is completely besides the point because he did it. He showed many times throughout that weekend he was capable of critical thought mm. and he tried to get away with it in so far as yeah. killing himself. And people are like, it's a choice he made. Well, it's actually several choices it's several, he made. Several choices and not mm. just on that weekend, but... In the run-up to, mm. you know, I mean, the very first time he would have started taking unprotected chair shots, the very first time he mm. would have started taking steroids. There's just so many factors. And then on top of that, the truth is he was a violent, abusive man. Yeah. There is evidence of this. She had a restraining order yeah. against him. She was worried that he would harm their son. Yeah. He had showed precedent for this. Yeah. And unfortunately, that, I think, is the most important and worrisome, most dangerous factor of all to consider in the risk factor of homicide, especially mm. familial homicide. Oh. I think people who knew him wanted to believe the best in him. Mm. Because you see someone like him who is obviously struggling, has obviously got signs of mental illness. Now this is back in a time when we did not talk about mental illness and especially not in men and especially yeah. not in male athletes. But of course they're gonna they're gonna look at him and think, oh that's sad. Because you see him. I, I said in my first time I ever saw him, I was like, God, he looks so sad. All the time, every entrance he does in wrestling, he looks like he's about to burst into tears. And I just feel, I felt sorry for him. And I'm assuming I'm sure, that feeling is long since departed yeah. your earthly body. Good Lord. I mean, look, on some level, I do still feel sorry for him, but in a kind of pitiful way. Like, like yeah, I, I, to the point where, like, I wouldn't say, like, this fucking, you know, I point at the wrestling business and go, this fucking business. I, I think that's that's the worst cop out of all. He's a victim of his choices. Yes, I think so. And In the backdrop of where he was, 
Perhaps yes, but and Nancy yeah. and Daniel were also victims of uh, his choices. Absolutely, more so. You know, Much time, so. time, times a thousand because you know they weren't at that point in time. They weren't in it. Yeah, they but they shouldn't have. I don't really blame his friends and family for not seeing the warning signs because, of course, you're not going to think that about someone you yeah. love. And I think as well when you hear about how people talked about him, they didn't expect to. You don't want to assume your loved one is going to fucking murder people. Yeah, That's but they just, all... That wouldn't be a healthy thing to jump to a conclusion yeah. like that. And I feel responsibility for this ultimately lies at Chris Benoit's feet. And maybe secondary, his doctor and the WWE mm. all had a certain element of potential control yeah, over this. That they neglected to, which they yeah. either neglected to or failed to realise. I think that leads us nicely into then the kind of the, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about with you um, before we got into some of the tweets and the messages, which is about the kind of the mark that it left behind on the wrestling business. I think we've talked obviously about, you know, because I don't want to be like, well, the positive thing about this is that we all have concussion tests. And, and fuck that. Like, because that, you know, I think you can't stop science. That stuff was going to happen anyway. Yeah. I feel like, you know, maybe it expedited it or whatever it was or gave it more of a national spotlight. But like, you know, I don't think we could be like, well, thank God Chris Benoit did what he did because now... Yeah, it was all worth no, it. No, it wasn't. That, no. that you know, that was going to happen way anyway. way too little too late. There was too much money and too many high-profile people involved who were affected by CTE for those studies not to have been conducted. Also, that was coming kind of anyway. I find it so fucking sick and twisted that it was even like, why, why was this not taken seriously sooner when... It should be enough for these people to go, look, I'm experiencing really mm -hmm. worrying side effects from something that is going on in my life. Because people don't want to, didn't want to talk about that. They didn't that. want to talk about risk it. their positions yeah. or whatever it is. And yeah, okay, some people didn't know, but there's a lot of people just turning a blind eye to it and being like, nope, the less we know, the less we have to admit to in court mm. or whatever. Like, it's just easier that way. I think I do want to touch on briefly with regards to the kind of the immediate kind of impact is we did find... On the fucking dark web, the uh, a copy of the tribute show that WWE put out, and that would have been at the point on the Monday when they knew that there had been a tragedy and that Chris and his wife and his son were all dead, mm. but before it was public knowledge about what had happened. And to say that that show gives off a whole bunch of different signals that people are figuring things out at different speeds yes. and at different levels people obviously we mentioned before the william regal element of it i mean there is good cause to believe that they did know upper management at that point what I, was happening and the, they made the call to go ahead with yeah. that tribute well they had to do something it is certainly interesting watching that show and seeing it's just like so obvious who who's figured it out not even that more who has the ear of Vince McMahon? Who Who is in the inner circle? Because it's pretty obvious who knows and who doesn't know. Like, to me, watching it, there are certain people on that show who are very careful with what they say. Like, literally, like it's like the succession scene with Connor Roy where yeah. he's like, a man, um, has, a man died. has died. Yeah. Um, uh, he was alive and now he is dead. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of the most powerful figures in that company at that time. Very careful about what he said. John Cena, again, up and coming superstar. Very he's careful. He's champ, you know, yeah, yeah. But it's very notable the people who didn't seem to have access to that information and who were less careful about their words. Yeah. People like Punk. Michael Cole, Michael Cole, CM Punk, yeah. Chavo Guerrero. Oh my God, the poor guy. He says in the dark side of the ring, he's like, you know, I just, I felt manipulated because I was 
it's kind of like I was encouraged to have this outpouring of grief for my friend who died mm-hmm. and now it looks like i'm endorsing a murderer and that's see, a stain yeah. on my legacy you know they, they call like a group meeting before and they they announce what happened and he's like what what happened and he's like he's gone you know that's it it's kind of like he's gone yeah. feel that we'll talk about the rest later type of a thing i know there's a show to be made and i there's a lot of people in the wrestling media landscape who are like hey i'll give you the benefit of the doubt it's not lost on me that on a night that was to feature a fake funeral for Vince McMahon and a set they'd had to take down involving caskets and wreaths and all that. Like, I don't want to say we reached a maximum point of tastelessness, but Jesus Christ, I think it maybe gave him cause to pause and think about... I don't know, yeah, that was, that was, like, you know, that's just what makes me feel it. I know I, mean, I was younger then and all that. I just feel so fucking ashamed that I was like, yay! Ah! What? Just, I don't know. Like, like I there's wrestlers who I really cared about who had died and we were like having fun, goofy storylines about like people dying for real. And mm-hmm. like, I just, I don't know. It just feels, it feels so, it's beyond bad taste. It's a whole other universe of, I don't know. I don't be like, well, that's unfortunate. But like, it's it's just like oh my god it, it's it's too much it's too much to that alone is too much to kind of to to, to process and to take in and all that but uh, yeah they they had this this show where they play kind of highlights and then the following night on ecw they had vince kind of say horrifying facts have come out about this case yeah i didn't say what not going to say the name again yeah that began it didn't happen immediately but they changed the product a lot there were no more Blows to the head, yeah. chair shots were banned, they became PG quite shortly thereafter. You had a ban on things like sleeper holes, chokes, those types of maneuvers. Now, why? Because there was enough speculation going around about perhaps Daniel and Nancy being strangled that people didn't want, and because Chris Benoit. I mean, I didn't maybe touch on, maybe you didn't see in the matches, but not just a technical wrestler. He was like the submission guy and he had the crippler cross face and there was all the stuff going on online that, you know, he so choked them to death and all that. They so. stopped, they banned the moves because they figured it was tasteless rather yes. than because it was dangerous. Yes, tasteless. Okay. You know, and there were moves that were banned because they were dangerous. There were moves yeah. that were banned because they were considered tasteless. Yeah. I have touched on those episodes with you before. I do think it is the height of, I don't know, Poor taste and we know something you don't know or whatever exclusionary fucking make ourselves feel better and make a lot of people feel fucking weird. But Shawn Michaels, Triple H, the constant use of the Crippler Crossface. So that wasn't banned? No. Well, I mean, it was for other people, but Shawn Triple H could do it. And what about the diving headbutt? Was that banned? I mean, Brian did it when he came in, but like it was the thing, like that was the move that was his move, so kind of, right. no one was doing his move. You know, no one was doing rolling German suplexes until Brock Lesnar came in a few years later, yeah. you know. But it was the fact that there was this kind of notable, okay, we have reacted to this, but the two guys yeah. who you it's know... It's for everyone else to do it, but it's okay for Sean to do it. You know, when Will Ospreay did the, the, the headbutt and all that, all the tribute stuff uh, on that AW match recently and people started chanting, you sick fuck, I felt like I went through the other side of this weird post-irony parallel world yeah. where nothing means anything. And mm-hmm. then I thought, well, like Will's like five years younger than me, so he was like a fucking a proper little kid when this all happened and no doubt he's been inspired by him and he wanted to pay tribute in his own perverse, fucked up way. And again, I don't want to be dictating how people process and handle things I will just say, though, it felt like 
Triple H and Shawn Michaels were just given a giant middle finger to like to no one in particular just generally the world around them yeah. and they'd be asked about interviews and they'd be all coy be like well you know some things just need to be kind of said don't they it's between the boys and like what what are you saying like, and what, so what are you saying was this like them doing it as heels no this is them as baby faces yeah. mimicking the moves of a murderer yeah and it's, they just pop it in a match, you know. And this is the thing as well. So they There was an argument being made where it's like, they're the top guys. So if they start doing that move, they can reclaim it. And it will be, it will be able to use a move like that in the future. And it's not, you know, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, her finisher, very similar. You know, it's, it's a kind of a crossface type maneuver. You know, the LaBelle lock from Brian Danielson. There are a lot of moves that are similar to that Crippler crossface that he did. I don't think they can do that because we had two and a half years of Sean and Triple H. Like, you'd, they'd be in the middle of a match, they do it, they kill the crowds. They'd be why? building the heat, they pop it on, and everyone would go fucking stone cold quiet because, why the fuck are you doing that? Just such little edgelords. They did like a submission only pay per view a year or two 30s. after. Just, I know. Jesus 40s, Joe. Grow the fuck up. Grow and up. I, I, I don't want to dictate how people should handle grief, but like, you were powerful enough to know better than that and it just yeah i don't want to say that like any one individual act sets stuff back but i understand from looking at the tweets from just searching around the internet as we have that that mark that's been left is still there there are people who are feel like because they like chris benoit and they see the documentaries and see the facts there are people convinced it's a conspiracy other people who are just like no his career hall of fame all that bullshit i'll call it what it is i think it's bullshit like you know go outside that's all i'll say to people who are talking about shit like that you're 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 online too much you're watching too much fucking wrestling literally go outside you know now with regards to the impact they did say something pretty hot and loaded towards the end i think you know jericho he, he this is kind of like his little catchphrase with regards yeah. to, to benoit and i guess in his mind how you know it's part of his i'm sure very complex feelings on the matter but he said that you know chris benoit loved the wrestling industry it was the thing he cared about more than anything and he'd be ashamed to know that he nearly killed the wrestling industry. That's a spicy soundbite. Yeah. Sounds really good. I don't know your thoughts on that. Well, I don't... I want to know your thoughts, because it, like... Well, obviously it didn't. It I didn't. Don't, no, it fucking I don't didn't. know how it even could. What could kill the wrestling business? Suddenly no one starts buying pay-per-view. At the time, in right. 2007. Suddenly so no one buys pay-per-views anymore. Or TV companies drop you. Or uh, advertisers drop you. Or, you know, there's like a groundswell cultural movement against what you're doing and you get pushed into the shadows. Right, like. so did that happen? No, of course so, not. Wrestling already kind of was in the shadows a bit at that point. Yeah. That was, you know, it was the benefit. Like if, if something like this happened now, for instance, yeah. God forbid, just because wrestling is in such an elevated position and with the TKO merge, all that, it would be a fucking, that or could like, perhaps. Imagine if it happened at like the peak of the Attitude Era. Like yeah, it's exactly, the similarly. most infamous thing in the world. But I mean, like the fact that Vince and Linda and Dixie Carter and all them, they all went down to Congress to have a fucking chat and they were like, all right, cool, yeah, and everyone kind of forgot about it and nothing yeah. was accomplished. That didn't really... Was it embarrassing for wrestling? Yes. Did it cause wrestling to have to change? Yes. It. I don't think there was a threat that it was going to kill wrestling. I mean, it, it drove... A lot of people I knew who watched stopped watching around there. Yeah. For sure. Less people... Like, I had a core group of maybe 10 people who I knew who all watched wrestling four of them probably stopped watching compare that to when i was a kid and stone cold became a bad guy and i went from like 20 to two yeah. you know that's just those wrestling fans weren't going to be turned off by what happened yeah made it suck to be a wrestling fan for a long time yeah because it's kind of their only a lot of people's only reference i think for professional wrestling was that murder i mean but look 
The WrestleMania that happened less than a year after the fact, WrestleMania 24, fucking jammed to the rafters, sold mm-hmm. out. Yeah. If anything, it was the beginning of an upturn for the company. Yeah. So I just think it's like, it's a nice thing to say and it might make you feel better, but I think it's total bullshit. Right. You know, we had a rough couple of weeks on the mainstream media there, folks, but honestly, when does wrestling get a good run in the mainstream media in the mid-2000s? Never, really. Yeah. No, you know, literally never. It. It was just one of those things where it's like, ah, everyone's looking at us. Mm. That doesn't kill the fucking business. You know, <laughs> didn't. It just didn't. Like, you know, yeah. I'm sure you can show me a graph where like ratings dipped or whatever it was, but it's like, you know, they went back up. Mm. You know, they paid more money than ever before. They've had one of the biggest, most successful mergers in the history of the company. Vince McMahon is richer than ever before. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone seems to be pretty well off who was close by in the company at the time in a position of power no one's position was threatened you know all the talent relations people were fine all the office people were fine no one got fired over it yeah there like mass layoffs or company stock no. value I mean, plummeting that, that doctor you know who's probably going to get caught anyway you know people had their careers derailed a bit because there was more of a scrutiny yeah but again you just know? to be clear he wasn't charged with anything no, related wasn't. to chris benoit but, you know say for instance that um that signature pharmacy scandal would have been mm. as big as a scandal otherwise. Who knows? Yeah. Ooh, would Ken Kennedy have become a world champion? I submit to you, who gives a fucking shit? Because like, once you're getting into that type of minutia of like certain individual wrestlers' career trajectories changed because they were caught with drugs after an incident that made people care more about drugs, that's not killing the business. That's yeah. just like, I don't know, actions having consequences. That's all, all it is. Yeah. But like, you want to talk about the lion impact and it's the thing that like it it made me break down i don't think i've cried like this doing research for any wrestling thing ever i was david benoit Mm. because listen to him talk and his his voice goes high and his eyes sparkle because of the sheer unadulterated fandom that he has for his father yeah i mean talk about separating art from artist he can absolutely he can he understands what has happened yeah he feels sad he because he loved nancy he loves daniel they were extremely close and yet straight faced that was not my like literally that was not my father he's like one step away from saying it's like a prowler who came in and did this to be clear no he is saying his it was chris benoit who murdered them but he yeah he says he didn't do it in a way that suggests that like oh it was like a I'm not going to say like a moment of madness because that's not fair. He but didn't he was say a different that. Person but in like, his mind, yeah, which okay, you could kind of argue because of the significant personality changes he was experiencing. Yeah, it's like the ship of Theseus, except yes. with his broken mind. But also, you know? it's like this Catch Twenty Two thing of like, well, but yeah, Chris Benoit's choices as him, he himself, that person who was David Benoit's dad, mm. decided to make all those little choices that led up to the risk factors that then led to. The personality changes and the violent outbursts. If you want to talk about fucking awkward, just listen to any any interview with David Benoit. And it's not, not me knocking him. Like I'm just saying, it's like it's so fucking uncomfortable. The interviewers really who are like, "Well, your dad is who he is." You know, <coughs> um, oh Jesus, what am I doing? Anyway, we've got another hour to go. Um, it doesn't help that. No, oh God, no offense to David Benoit, but oh my God, he cannot do an interview because he's fucking like he's a traumatized. He's, yeah. he's traumatized. Yeah, but it's just it's difficult because he obviously wants to go on this like media loop and yeah. get himself over. He's, for the record, 
trying to become a professional wrestler and he wants to wrestle under the name Chris Benoit and he wants Chris to Chris Benoit eat... Jr. yeah or Chris Benoit he says yeah, he he'd be, he'd be well. down for either and he wants to wear his dad's old clothes his old wrestling gear and do the same kind of moves except for the diving headbutt come out to the music come out to the music oh exactly. sorry speaking of uh, Roosh someone tweeted me and told me that yeah Roosh just started using Chris Benoit's music in, in Mexico a couple of years ago yeah. just cause yeah. cause you know why why not like you know mm. fucking ridiculous I don't, I don't know what to think about it because I feel like there's a lot of like people who are like, "Hey, he wants to talk, so I'll I'll let him talk." You know, yeah. seems like a nice kid. Honestly, I say kid; he's a fucking grown ass man. Yeah, he's you in know. his thirties. <laughs> yeah, he, or at least late twenties. But he is, he's definitely he's he's grown up. He's an adult. He's not a little boy or anything mm-hmm. like that. If he has something to say, people want to hear from it. I think the dark side of the ring, I think, handled his inclusion very very well. I thought mm-hmm. it was quite respectfully done. It was, I think. I have complex feelings on Jericho for a litany of matters, this included, but I felt that him bringing the family back together, so to speak, was mm-hmm. an undeniable, I think that's a positive thing that he's done. Yeah, it definitely. Brought, it brought me to tears. Might feel about that differently in a couple of days. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just where I'm at at the moment. But like this whole thing where it's like, I just feel like it's it's an easy news story. David Benoit, ah, he's backstage at an AEW show. Is Tony Khan going to sign him? Is he going to be in a tag team with Brian Pillman Jr.? And then, he you know, seems to make out as though he thinks that's what's going to happen. I mean, these interviews, by the way, that you've watched are from like... You a know, couple of years back, A couple of yeah. years, two or three years ago. The one thing I'll say about David Benoit is trying to do any research about this and away from the salacious. Like, ah, he was at a show. Ah, he was at a WWE show. He met Natalia. He was wearing an AEW hoodie. So what? You know, just a guy going to a show. Like, honestly, so what? I feel like he is clearly a massive fan. Yeah. He's earned his right to go see a wrestling show. Here's stories that like any wrestling show, he goes to the local indies in, in, in Calgary and there's like a queue of 100 people. Mm. Just want to talk to him about his dad and all that. And, you know, fair enough. You know, I understand he, his dad means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But like in regards to him becoming a wrestler, he didn't sign up for Lance Storm's wrestling training school. He showed up for like one session and he just, he just no-showed. Wow. And like, you know, I think we listened to a couple of different, you know, pundits. I don't want to name any names. We listened to a couple of different pundits kind of be like, well, what, could you theoretically have a Chris Benoit Jr. on your show? Because of all the feelings that will conjure up. And as we've no doubt seen from this, that name conjures up so many different feelings. You, yeah. You, from def- extreme defensiveness to abject rage and everything in between. And it's like, you know, the, the general consensus was from a lot of folks was like, well, you know, if he's, if he's got his father's genetics and he's one hell of a wrestler, maybe he could you know, try and overcome the odds and, you know, try and make people think of something else other than Chris Benoit when they hear the name Benoit. But it's like... He looks just like him. And like, I hate to break it to you, but like, if you start wrestling training and then you go, oh, that's not for me. And then like five years later, when you're kind of, you know, approaching that point in your life, in your late 20s, when I got to do something if I want to do something, I don't think that he wants to be a wrestler. No. Deep, deep down. I think that he likes the rush of hearing the crowd. I think he likes to see some positive associations with his father, which he knows yeah. that gets from the fans who talk to him. Yeah. I think it's part of his healing. I would say, let him do his thing in that sense. But when I heard stories that he was untrained going to have a tag team match with Chavo Guerrero on some random show that mm. Jericho put the kibosh on, it made me think some very complex feelings about Chavo, who I ultimately have a lot of sympathy for because of what he's went through. Yeah. But I just feel there's an easy way for this journey of healing to become extremely fucked up. And wrestling promoters love to put on a fucking circus. 
And I just like in my heart of hearts, if the choice is between him being put on a national television show and the internet fucking exploding, or him being in some greasy outlaw fucking mud show with twenty people in the audience and he's been dropped on his head because he hasn't had proper training, I'm not sure which is worse. But I'd keep him away from a wrestling ring because I don't have confidence in the wrestling industry to handle that particular piece of business. Mm. And he's so fucking shell shocked. Yeah. Like wrestling's fucking hard. Yeah. The physical and mental toll that will take on him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's physically or mentally capable of do like even if his dad wasn't who he was. Yeah. It looked like that wrestling industry would fucking grind him into powder. Yeah. It's hard to get in later in life as well. Like most wrestlers get in when they're teenagers or young adults. Like there's a very short list of wrestlers who started in their yeah. late twenties, early thirties. And like, I was just, it kind of made me realise as well though with all this, like how much I've tried to kind of, you know, hey, I've watched Benoit matches in the context of shows. And it's easy to do that in the context of shows when my main thing I'm talking about is 2001 Smackdown from February or whatever. But, you know, when you see it all back to back there, folks, like, I realized like I was avoiding a lot of this for a long fucking time, specifically his son, because I just, I, I feel quite a pure unbridled sadness when I look in his eyes. Well, yeah, because it's lose-lose. There's no I way know. for him to win. He's working on the oil rigs. He's got an engineering degree. Oh, he's making great money. Yeah, man. I just, I wish... I'd like him to be able to go to the shows without incident, you know, meet some of the people who might be like, I think Jericho has obviously been quite important to him and all that, yeah. but also I think Jericho has filled him in some stuff in his head and some of the wrestlers have of like, yeah, you could do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. You could do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. Mm. Someone needs to have the real heart to heart and say, I don't think so, but that's not my place to say, I guess. I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on David? It's one of those things where you just can't control what other people feel and a lot of people feel they don't really want to ever think about Chris Benoit ever again. So I think if he was serious about becoming a professional wrestler, he would need to wrestle under a different name, completely change his look. But that's not, that's not why that's he wants it. to be a wrestler. He doesn't want to do that. Yeah. He wants to he wants to kind of rebrand Chris Benoit. And I know... Get his dad to the Hall of Fame. It's very Jesus. sweet for a son to want to do that. But also it's... I don't know how ethical that is no. to try and do that to a murderer, especially when you're trying to do it in public and off a brand that could potentially make money. It's very, very complicated. I just think it's... Yeah. I don't think he should do it, but there's no, no stopping him, really, is there? It's ultimately is his no. choice. It's his dad, if he wants to do it. If he feels... you know, Ultimately, he is the person who, outside of, of his sister Megan and his aunt, he is most affected by mm. the murders. He's the biggest victim. The thing that really worries me is that I could think of a lot of difficulty he'd have finding someone to actually give him proper full-time training. I think he's gotten, you know, he's done some in-ring stuff with with a couple of those names we mentioned, like Jericho and Chavo. But I don't think there's a shortage of promoters who would be fine with booking him. I mean, there's always going to be CD promoters. Yeah, definitely. And look, he doesn't need the money, so maybe that would be enough for him. But I think if his goal is to kind of rebrand Chris Benoit, he will be aiming for the big leagues. He's aiming for AEW and WWE, and that's just not good for their PR. That's just the facts. Like, they will prioritize profit first, and it affects their potential advertising slots and sponsorships and fan base if they start associating with someone who uses the name of a murderer. And it's like, what? Like, okay, he goes out and he's like an exceptional wrestler has five-star matches. We all feel weird. He goes out and he has anything other than a perfect match. Does he like he talks about like every day he you know he's on Instagram and he gets you yeah. know just 
your dad, you know, your dad's a murderer. Your dad's. And he's like, I can't imagine what that's like. He's like, I'm spending hours every day deleting all these comments yeah. on my posts. I'm like, I. Poor thing. Every you know, this is the modern world. I feel everyone should be you know entitled to be able to you know live life as they choose and do what they want. But I can't help but see him, and like I get all this like, I don't know, it's like this like paternal instinct or something in me mm, where I want I to go that. like grab him and fucking give him a hug and be like, you you don't need to do this, man. Yeah. You really you really shouldn't. I don't mean to tell you how you, sh- you should think, but I don't think you're thinking clearly about this. I Nor do I think you can think yeah, clearly about how this. How can you possibly think clearly about something like that? Like, even if his dad just suddenly died, even if there wasn't any murder, it would be such a hard thing mm. to kind of wrap your head around. Like, the age it happened, he was like 14. Yeah, the worst possible. Yeah. I think he was just old enough to grasp what happened, but not old enough to be able to, like, in any way process it. Yeah. You know, he talked about how he punched a cop when he first heard about it. He was hounded by paparazzi and newspapers and journalists. The whole family was, you know. Even if the murder hadn't been traumatising, which it would have been, the media response was in itself traumatising. And again with WWE, you know, hearing from not just Dave, but the other members of the family, how it's kind of like, yeah, it's left out there. Oh, you're not suing us? Great. Awesome. You know, I think the dad wanted to, to move forward with something and didn't kind of nothing really came of it i think the family is bitterly divided i think in many respects as a result of that and like i just feel like i i don't know what what the route is but i just kind of it's 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 strange isn't it yeah that's a kind of you know the guerrero family were kind of provided for in many respects Mm. one of them had to become a performer but you know seeing fans being reminded of eddie guerrero has been very lucrative for both wwe and the and the wrestling business and vicky guerrero and her family and all that okay people react that way and it just they felt they feel like they've been thrown out in the cold yeah for sure and the fact that you know we're talking about doing a nancy episode you know people want to talk about oh the network and all that like you know you can't search for him he's there on the shows his name is never listed mm-hmm. You know, I saw some tweet of like, what the fuck is this all about? Big Show eliminated himself in the 2004 Royal Rumble? I'm like, yep, we're dealing with the, the big issues here today, friends. The real important shit. I, I think that's kind of a happy medium, mainly because they don't push that kind of archive content as much anymore. But the fact that you can't find her stuff like anywhere. Yeah, that's the real, like, that real fucking, shame. That sucks. Like, that's just like she a, had an important name and legacy by herself. Yeah. And ultimately, she was a victim here. So why is it that she's been blacklisted? Yeah, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. You make you make us think about things that the the brand doesn't want you to think about. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we've seen it ourselves. You even whisper that name or anything near it. There's a lot of there's a lot of kids who like this is kind of like a funny mean boogeyman thing for. Yeah. And there's a lot of adults who are in serious arrested development. And like, I'm not throwing shade because like I consider myself. You know, I don't think I'd really kind of, hey, actually think about what's really happened here and not just kind of crazy wrestling stories. You know, a lot of us are kind of in a little bit of doubt and denial about what actually happened, the reality of that, you know. And I think as a result of that, it's it's going to be, she is, she's been erased in that sense. Yeah. And it is uh, so unfair. It is so unfair. I, I do understand it, but I can still understand it but no it's extremely unfair do you think it would have been handled the same way if she had because her main career was in like wcw and ecw Mm. do you think if she'd had a career in wwe that would have been the same way i don't know 
I really don't know. It's a good question because I think then they like. I think there's a lot of reason for them. It's they're kind of go. It's ah, easy dismissal, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's easy. like, well, it's she wasn't with us. So, yeah, yeah, so it's not. She's not part of our. our well, that stopped them with other wrestlers. Oh, though. I know. Like when it suits them, and it suits yeah. them. When it doesn't, it doesn't. In this case, it doesn't. It's too much work. It's too hard. It's. Yeah. It conjures up negative feelings. Mm. You know, there are both cynical and non-cynical reasons that are all bundled together to do that. Yeah. You know, I understand it. I think it sucks. I think it's. Probably, it's far down the list of, like, reasons why this is fucking horrible. Yeah. But it is. It's another, like, you know, because he didn't just murder her, he erased her. Yeah. You know? And that is really fucking, like, I, She's I think... a hell of a performer, of man, let me tell you. To someone who works in the professional wrestling industry, that's probably the wiping. most cruel thing. Yeah. I think if you, you know, gun to a lot of wrestlers' heads, if you said, right, I'm either going to kill you or erase your legacy, I think a lot of them would be like, you just fucking kill me, because I'd rather have the legacy. Yeah. And he did both you know i've seen it with both punk and brad hart god man they were so concerned that the tape library their legacy yeah. what their 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 place it's 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 their body of work it's, it's who lot, they are it's a you big know? reason why a lot of people go into that business is yeah. so that they leave something behind when they die and, you know that's not to say she didn't have a life outside of she obviously did she yeah. she retired she moved on you know but he erased the other element of that mm-hmm. you know because he took her fucking child away yeah you know so it is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of of wrestling, I think. There's been deaths, there's been tragedies, but this is just, uh, it's a monstrous act that even now, all these years later, you know, there's there's just so much to unpack. I, I, I'm half expecting you in like months time for it to kind of like, boom, hit you mm. in, in some sort of a different way. But I felt like you were kind of almost prepared for this going in because you yeah. always knew what this was. Yeah. Whereas I feel it's been more of an exercise in psychotherapy for me in some <laughs> respects. Yeah, look, as I said, the first thing I ever heard about Chris Benoit was like literally in the same breath as his name was killed his family. Double murder, suicide, yeah. Killed a child, killed his wife in the most horrific way yeah, imaginable. The, yeah. Um, like if they told yeah. me tomorrow, hey, we're erasing all the Chris Benoit off the network, I don't think I'd be like, no! Like, and a lot of people are. And that is... I I feel feel so disconnected from wrestling fans who are like that. I feel there's different reasons, though, to be upset by that. Because there's the people who are like, no, because Chris Benoit is so important, which I don't necessarily agree with. But there's the other side, which is he was a part of many matches that were important to those wrestlers. Yeah, that's true. And why is it he should be allowed to erase not only his wife's legacy, but now the legacy of other wrestlers that are also innocent in this? Just... like it's never bothered me before just when like listening to that Sandra interview where she's like yeah like you might find some old rips of Florida stuff but like her shit is really hard to find it's like I've watched like hundreds of hours of Benoit on Mm -hmm. that network you know for the last 10 years yeah it really pisses me off you know I'm not saying I'm advocating for one thing or another to happen it's just kind of you know do they not have any of Nancy on the network? Thing? Oh no, her, she is. You know, she's there. You know, as, as, you know woman and yeah. she's in ECW and in WCW. Right. I know. Okay. But I think, you know, earlier. her stuff is you know the Fallen Angel, the stuff she did with uh, with Kevin Sullivan, and all that. That's right. that's kind of a bit you know in the in the blur, so yeah. to speak. And again, she's not you know she's not held up. She's not celebrated. She's not talked about. She's not mentioned. Mm. Uh, and I remember, I remember like being fascinated by her when I saw her and just kind of been like, this seems like a quite an upper limit here. What you can find out about at this point in time. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely doing this episode has made me really passionate and invigorated about doing that. I'm not going to say next episode because God knows, I think we all need a bit of time to to let this one breathe. I know I do. Yeah. So yeah, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who who tweeted in, popped on Facebook, and especially those of you who sent kind of 
and maybe more complex thoughts sent multi-part messages or indeed some long-form emails i will say anytime there's ever an episode that has a kind of a, a topic that you think is maybe a bit more than the however many characters you're allowed on twitter howtowrestling at gmail.com or on howtowrestling.com there is a contact us section and we really appreciate everyone who has reached out we have read every single one of these good bad and indifferent what you'll get here now is maybe just kind of a selection we kind of Joe, you want to maybe take us through some of these? We have a bit of a chat about some of our correspondence. So this first email is from Will, who says, It's hard to know where I stand on it sometimes. I go between still adoring the wrestler and hating the man, while doing everything I can to keep Nancy and Daniel at the forefront of any thoughts I may have about him. Ultimately, I feel that Chris Benoit's story is one of unchecked ambition and the dangers that come in obsession. Chris Benoit, like many of us, was obsessed with professional wrestling. He wanted to be the best, and for his wrestling to be seen as the best, and he sacrificed his body and soul to do that in a way that made sense to him. Was it worth it? I don't think so, and at the very least I hope that generations of wrestlers learn that this kind of career is not one to aspire to, no matter what Chris's close friends may say. It's tempting to end this with a pithy line, but I sit here with tears in my eyes, and I just wish that none of this had ever happened. Wrestling needs to remember what happened here, and I hope that, as the episode of The Dark Side of the Ring alluded to, we can begin to celebrate and remember Nancy Benoit as much as, if not more than, we have her husband. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think it shows you the kind of the, the kind of the, the difficulty that a lot of you know folks have had in kind of processing this. It is it's 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 a tough topic. I'd say it's the toughest topic we'll ever we'll ever ever cover. Yeah, easily, you know. Um, and I feel for you because yeah, there's been a, a few tears shed on this end over the, the the past couple of weeks as well. I got one here on Facebook from Dennis Granger. It is a very fine line to walk because while his journey was objectively an inspiring story about an undersized, underutilized, and underestimated wrestler whose work was so good, he earned a spot at the top of the industry, but he also destroyed himself along the way. If anything, I think the amount of detail of the crime cannot be played down anyway. It's going to make this for a tough episode to listen. I imagine even tougher one to record. But anything less feels like an injustice to the family. And, you know, there is like kind of ripples that have been felt out throughout this. You know, I think I just read an interview with Randy Orton this week where he was like saying how in WWE right now at the moment with Triple H in charge that like if you have a birthday coming up or it's Father's Day or there's, you know, your kid's birthday they come to you and they go, hey, do you know you've got this birthday coming up? Wow. And they give you the time off if you want it. Right. And compare that and contrast with like Benoit, apparently, according to Jericho, would have these like kind of you know tears in his eyes being like, oh, fuck, I wish I could go home for Halloween or Father's Day. And, you know, it's harder, but you could ask yeah. for the time off. Because Jericho was like, well, you can, you can ask for that. But, you know, this is the time where you may be able to, but if you're in the mindset of that, you know, rest on the up and the paranoia that comes with that of, mm. well, if I take a day off, that means someone else is going to get my spot and that's me, you know, that's me on the bottom of the card or I'm losing momentum or anything like that. I think the thing in your email that you mentioned about kind of uh, unchecked ambition, mm. ambition's a good thing. I think we're all like, you know, as youngsters in, in the West, we're like, hey, be ambitious. All those millennials were told, be ambitious, you're going to be the best, but it can be the, it can be the undoing of you, mm-hmm. you know, because people will, People were patting him on the back all the way right until the end going, look at him, what a great example. Like literally, mm-hmm. even in death, people were, were saying like, what a great example he was for Saul to, to aspire to. And I think that is, you know, if anything, we're moving further and further away from that is a good thing. Hmm. Next is a tweet from James Leach. 
He was never my absolute fave, but up until the day he died, Chris Benoit was my idea of what a wrestler should be. He got where he was despite limitations on the mic through strong work ethic and wrestled a realistic, aggressive style that made him stand out. I thought very highly of him, and it stood out that Brett chose him as his opponent in his Owen tribute match. I watched the Benoit tribute night with no idea of what really happened. The truth broke my heart and soured me on watching wrestling until 2010. When I returned to watching wrestling, two of my favourites were Daniel Bryan and Davey Richards, both of whom were very clearly influenced by Chris Benoit. Definitely, yeah, gosh. I still don't watch his old matches, but whenever I see clips, I'm reminded of that style and the toll it took. Richards is now disgraced, but Danielson remains a favourite, and because of the similarities, I remain conflicted by the punishment he puts his body through, although I know he works a lot smarter than he used to. Yeah, I think lessons were learned i think davy richards is a very interesting one there because davy richards was very much a guy where he was like you know in that style where it's like here's a guy i idolize him i'm gonna do that yeah and davy richards like if you saw him the the physical similarities between him and the dynamite kid were, were startling i remember i first davy richards match i ever saw was at a live show uh when i was at wrestlemania for ring of honor and it blew me away but i remember quite shortly thereafter just kind of getting a little bit uncomfortable with he was very much like more so even than benoit he had that kind of like it's real to me damn it you know Mm. that kind of what i'm doing in here is less for you the audience and more for me about what i want to do and what i want to put across and i don't want to say you become a mark for yourself at that point but when you're not about protecting yourself and your opponent and entertaining the fans i feel like you've lost your way as a wrestler yeah and yeah bad shit's come out about davy since then and i would say for wrestlers who are looking to be influenced i'll repeat my point earlier there are many fantastic wrestlers who've been inspired by benoit but i don't think that he is someone who's like gotta sit down and watch all them tapes there's, there's other examples you can look at other people hmm. i think that choose your heroes carefully if you are going to be a wrestler absolutely we always say about being a wrestling fan but if you're going to be a wrestler like you know look at their entire career look at them as a person yeah who you who are you emulating what do you want to be but also as a fan i feel you don't need to feel guilty about appreciating that wrestling style that chris benoit did Mm. even if you see other people doing it and you're worried about the risks because ultimately and that's kind of the main takeaway i want people to have from this episode that what chris benoit did was a personal choice yes and that Brian Danielson is not going to become a murderer just because he has a similar style of wrestling. Because there were so many factors and so many choices that Chris Benoit made that led to the murder of his family. Mm. Next up, an email from Nathan. Separating the art from the artist is always a hotly debated topic, even at the best of times. But when an art form is so intrinsically linked to the artist's eventual horrific downfall and demise, it becomes harder and harder to stomach. I also believe that to say that you celebrate his work as a wrestler discounts the worth of the lives of his victims, almost as if it doesn't matter that he killed two people he claimed to have loved because he happened to be a gifted performer. I just Mm. cannot overlook the fact that he took two innocent lives, seemingly without reason, and continue to watch his work. Many will also try to defend his actions by pointing towards the discovery after the fact of his CTE. I believe that blaming the events of the last weekend of his life on his concussion and CTE is a gross oversimplification. Mm. What so many people overlook in that thinking is that this was not some spur-of-the-moment killing. Extensive planning went into the murders, planning which would be beyond anyone who wasn't fully in control of their actions. His planning went so far as to inform friends how to access his house in the aftermath and research into discovering the quickest and most painless way he could commit suicide. A gesture, I should point out, he did not extend to his wife and child. 
These do not indicate the actions of a man without control of his faculties. They indicate a psychopath and a coward. Yeah, I, 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 like, I find myself hearing these kind of different shades of, of opinion, mm. and I find myself agreeing with, with kind of all of them. I, we got an email from someone, I don't want to read it because it was quite personal, and they talked about kind of an overcorrection mm. of the CTE, because I feel like there was CTE, oh, that's an excuse, fuck that, it's not an excuse, which I agree with, and then it's like, you know, we got an email from someone who's had some personal experience with, in their family, of someone with, you know, a neurodegenerative illness. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that in, in, in my family as well. And I think, you know, um, to say that there was no role whatsoever, I just think that you are, yeah, you're going too far the other way. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think all the, all the above can be true. Yeah. And I think that we might enter into a, a less insightful uh, discussion if we just want to throw out all scientific uh, rationale and reasoning mm. because... For mo- for most, I, I'm probably in the same way as well. Is you know that emotion trumps, you know, science or whatever it may be. They don't want to hear that other thing because that feels like you're trying to take away from that. I appreciate the full rawness of the emotion and the full sentiment, yeah. and I agree. But I just do think that CTE can can't be used as just an excuse. But you cannot deny a role that mm. is played absolutely because. To kind of paraphrase the email that we got from that gentleman is, you know, until you've seen someone literally that you know and are so aware of and just see the kind of the clouds form over them. That paranoia, the outbursts, the change in personality suddenly. You know, the the example that was given to us was this person was thinking, you know, that, you know, they're out to get me, the the paranoid feelings or whatever. And then you do the thing of being like, no, there's your, there's your son, there's your daughter, there's your wife, you know, the... Pointing out all the people that you should know to kind of ground them, but then knowing that they know who all these people are, that hasn't changed it anyway. I think both can be true. Yeah. I think you can have this kind of added layer of paranoia or exacerbation of pre-existing things, but also still make a series of conscious, monstrous choices. Yeah. And I don't feel like, I don't want people to feel like, I think a lot of people think that, there, that there's a lot of like pockets and we're all at odds with each other in this and describing it as a tragedy. Mm. I don't think that we are. I just think that people react to things and prioritize explanations internally differently. That's literally just being human. Yeah. And I think that's that's very, very fair. And I don't want anyone to think that we're necessarily disagreeing with them or anything like that. I think that we all are actually in agreement and we are, I don't want to say we're splitting hairs, but I do think that... I think it's important to be specific, though, when yeah. you're dealing with stuff like this. Yeah, I, I just think that's worth worth saying, because I do feel like... I felt like when I was going into this, I strongly was feeling one way, and then kind of I felt I was pulled in a myriad... You know, when we went into the myriad of factors, I felt that like it is a lot more complex than that. And boy, oh boy, I wish I had a simple explanation for you. But, you know, for me, going, he was an asshole, fuck him, is as oversimplified as saying, it was roid rage, or it was just CTE. Mm. You're doing so much disservice to the full story when you reduce it to that. I'm not saying that that message was doing that. I'm just no, 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 overall, no, you know. And I, yeah, thank you very much for that message because it is definitely food for thought. This next email is from Stephen. This is just a, a, a segment I'm cutting out. But this email from Stephen, I just wanted to read out this one particular section which really spoke to me, who says, Thinking about all of this, I am still so sad. 
I'm sad that one of the most talented wrestlers in history chose to let wrestling overcome him and destroy his life and take innocent people with him in that choice. I am sad that despite the warning signs after Guerrero's death, no one was able to give Benoit the help he so clearly needed. I am sad that the extremely dangerous practices of professional wrestling, such as chair shots to the head, were commonplace for so long. I am sad that a mother and son were robbed of their lives so horrifically, when the only mistake they made was to love and trust Chris Benoit. Oh boy. I am not sad for the legacy of Chris Benoit. I do not believe we should celebrate Chris Benoit's career in any capacity. He proved to us himself that there is no separating the talent from the human in this case. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm, I'm in agreement there, you know. And I think it's always going to be in the back of anyone's mind who's watching anything. I don't think with, with him involved... I don't like here's the thing though about you know I've kind of generally avoided ever I don't think I ever have shown you for this podcast a match with him in it I, I could be wrong I've tended to try and avoid that I usually I think he has shown up at one point but I couldn't maybe. tell you which I one. know we did a Royal Rumble episode no, he probably true, yeah. popped in there something I wanted to know about like you just like where are you at with like watching his stuff would it be something that you'd avoid like you know you know you've come downstairs I've been doing Smackdown crawl he's been on my my screen you know a couple of times is it the type of thing now that knowing these full details, it would recoil you? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, hey, I can't separate the art from the artist, fuck him. But like, they could watch a match. You know, I don't think I'd go out and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to put on a, like, put on a Vader match or a Stan Henson match. I'm going to seek out a Chris Benoit yeah. match. But like, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say like, I'd avoid doing a pay-per-view classique with you over on Patreon because Chris Benoit is on the card. I don't know. But how would you feel about that? I don't, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Like, honestly, if I, like, say we did an episode on, like, Lance Storm. Yeah. I would be curious to see someone like him wrestle someone like Chris Benoit. I might even seek it out. Just because their wrestling styles, I'd be interested to kind of see them work together and see the chemistry they might have. I really enjoyed his match with Brett. But I don't particularly like him as a wrestler enough to, like, like, that match we watched with him and Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Yeah. I didn't really enjoy it because I felt his style didn't really fit with their style. Like, I enjoyed the match, but not because of him. And it wasn't because I, he's a murderer. It was just because mm. I didn't enjoy his style. That was one of my, my favourite, favourite matches growing up. Like, that would have been, like, on my, my top five kind of lists growing up. And I think just to maybe show you the difficulty that some folks have. And we got an email that talked about this specifically. And I kind of, I did empathise greatly. Which was, you know, I watched the match. And either after we watched either the Dark Side of the Ring or after we had done some of the with a lot of reading out into this it was after we'd watched something particularly heavy because i didn't want to like just watch a lot of matches at once and then find out or find out all the stuff and then try and watch matches so we kind of tried to slip some stuff in there watched the match and i was like not into it really you know i was um taken out of it it was hanging over my head but once it came down to the to the finish and the ticker tape and eddie guerrero coming out and them hugging and hearing, uh, like, literally the line that was quoted in the email that we got from someone saying, like, Jim Ross being, like, the 20-year odyssey has come true. I was sat there going, like, oh, this is fucking horrible. I feel miserable. I was covered in goosebumps. Like, I just had that fucking brainstem involuntary. This is a memory that, you know, you saw this at four in the morning back when you were in the and you watched it. It was your favorite match. And I hadn't watched the match in probably, like, a, a good 10, 15 years, I would say. And it's just, like, yeah, I think big emotional moments imprint on you particularly when you're younger yeah and i think for a lot of people they're on the bit of that journey i don't know you could ask me in like two years time and i'll be like i never want to watch a chris benoit match 
ever again. He's probably going to pop up on the latest season of the Adair podcast mm. at some point. It's going to probably be very different from when I was like just, you know, 20 shows into a 30 show run that he featured on every show. Yeah. So I think give everyone, if you hear anyone's opinion, including ours, maybe give a little benefit of the doubt that this is a journey for most people who've heard about this. Yeah. And take it from me, it's a long journey mm. and there's many steps in the way. And I think most of us have spent a lot of time on that journey not thinking about it and not being actually cognizant for it. But yeah, man, the the, the power of a fucking WrestleMania ending is, is pretty fucking bleak. I felt really... I never felt that before. I felt like just sad, mm. but also like had that like... I'm not the type of person when something bad happens or something sad happens that I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps when I like something that really affects me. I go, wow. Mm. So feeling that then was fucking weird. The only real thing I felt throughout this whole thing, all this research, is sadness. Mm. I just feel really sad. Yeah. For like, for everyone. It's such a horrible thing that happened. Like, there are people who were children who idolised him and then had to reconcile with the fact that Oh, by the way, there's people out in the world who murder their families. Mm -hmm. That's something you have to learn. And also the person you idolize. Yeah, he did that. And are you going to be a... Like, how do you how do you reconcile that as an adult, let alone when you're still... When your brain is still developing? I think what hit me on the head with that, because like, you know, I had the benefit of being 18 or 19 or whatever. In my mind, I still think of, you know, I was very mature back then. I felt I was still a kid, but, you know, old enough to know or have heard about these types of things but it's when you were doing the research and and I was as well and we were googling these different things to try and find out different information about the drug testing and why he why he got this exemption da, da, da. and we both came across all like where all the news was spreading it was the forums mm. and like Joe found it was being talked about on the Digimon forum yeah. and I found it was on like the Empire Total War forum yeah it's like teenagers kids just, man yeah. talking about that mark the effects the reverberations there's a lot of folks out there who think want there to be like the idea of this podcast, the idea there, you know, being a dark side of the ring, anyone talking about that? No, we don't, don't speak about it. Lockdown, never speak about it again. I feel it's that never going that, away. That attitude makes edge lords like fucking yeah. Will Ospreay and Shawn Michaels troll like, hey, behavior. I'm gonna do the yeah. diving head. What's butt? the thing I'm not allowed to do? Yeah. You, you'll just breed like we're trying to have a good faith discussion. Trying yeah. to shut down all discussion will mean all that's left is people it's talking bad about faith it. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get shitty video essays talking yeah. about Chris Benoit. If that's what you want, you yeah. know, that's what it'll be. No, we have to be able to talk about this yeah. stuff. And that's why it's kind of good that I feel like we're lucky to have this podcast where we can have like this one episode, this one yes. space where we just get it all out, we talk about it and then bam, hopefully we never have to fucking talk about it or think about it ever again because <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. And yeah, I am sad. I'm really sad. And the moment that made me cry more than anything else, for some reason it's like my weakness, mm. is Bret Hart. Yeah. Just seeing him interviewed like an, in the on, immediate on, yeah. aftermath. And they they mix his name up with Benoit's. Yeah, like... they call him Chris Benoit and then they, they correct themselves. And it's just... It's like a deer in the headlights. He looks he? like a deer in the headlights. He looks like a child. And he's a man who has, again experienced more death than i could ever imagine he has experienced probably more death in those 10 years than i will ever experience in my entire life yeah. times 10 probably and there's so many people like him in the wrestling industry but then also i do believe the fans as well who have to kind of like wrap their head around that and that's really really hard to do and what i just is, yeah. i just feel really sad that it's a shit thing it's just it's so just shit, shit isn't it? it's it is. just so shit yeah. it's so sad yeah. And, you know, I wish I was angry because it's fucking, it's so, yeah. it's like the textbook definition of evil. 
But I'm not mm. angry. I am just sad. Yeah. I think I've had my bouts of anger about it, but... And that's why I can kind of understand the anger, you know, but... Yeah, I understand it. I may even, you know, give me an hour, I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably be angry again, but... Yeah, I think we had a really nice email from Todd, which I think might round us off here. And, uh, yeah, I think we're just going to end the episode here, because I want to talk about the new episode now. I don't think it's... I don't know. I ain't changing gears now, folks. No, so hard shift. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Joe, maybe to, to, to end on here, if you want to read out what, what Todd sent to us, please. Todd says, I can't separate art from artist. I can't enjoy Benoit's matches any more than I can enjoy, say, Jimmy Snuckers. What disturbs me is that WWE's mismanagement nurtured a whole generation of fans who dismiss Snooker as a silly mid-carder to this day, but will still compliment the aggressive style of a man who definitely murdered his wife and son. Oh god, yeah, you want to talk about necessary edits on the network? That's one of them. Never mind the fact that the aforementioned wife was also an artist in the world of wrestling. And if we're only judging people as in-ring performers, well, I preferred Nancy over Chris. So what's a snap suplex worth then? In my view, a great manager was murdered by her husband. But no, Vince, only tellingly, acknowledged it as a tragedy rather than a crime and promised there'd be no further mention of Benoit on TV. In less than a year, top guys were copying his moves and the removal of his name from WWE's site only spawned more discourse. Nothing but mixed messages that I think served to create conspiratorial atmosphere and energise the mental gymnastics of Benoit's remaining fans. People clapped when Sean did the Crippler crossface five months after it happened. What exactly were they clapping? As usual, WWE only needed to lay out, shut up, and consider those most affected. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good note to leave us on. I think you know uh, I, I'm in agreement there. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say with regards to that. Put it very very well. Thanks everyone for your help with this difficult episode. And I don't know, find someone who you love, tell them you love them, give them a hug. It's been one of those kind of days, I think. Uh, and Joe, thank you for, I don't know, sticking by this world of wrestling, even with all of its grisly sides and aspects to it. It's a, it's a, it can be a very, very dark place at times. And I think the only reason I'm doing this podcast with you is because I've come to rely on your emotional maturity and your, your kind of clarity and stuff like this that I feel like that me and most of the wrestling podcasters really would fail to grasp yeah i feel it's easy for me i i don't have teenage hormones wrapped up <laughs> in this i have no nostalgia it's yeah and you know what i'm excited because this episode has been hanging over yep. this podcast for nearly 10 years i know i know i have been dreading this episode i'm sure you have and yep. now it's over it's done we can fucking move on <laughs> i can now start to actually celebrate the fun stuff again i don't have to worry about when this is going to finally have to be recorded and oh yeah. we're gonna have to watch all the shit and oh my god it's over it's done it's yep. done yeah i think we had we were ready I think that was yeah. the why now because we were ready yeah. there you go and if you're not listening to this maybe you weren't ready that's totally cool yeah um, maybe you'll never be ready you know, that's fine too that's that's alright but that's the episode uh, thanks everyone and we'll catch you next time <laughs>